Welcome to episode 38 of Central Intelligence Cinema. Today, we're celebrating Christmas in February with our review of The World is Not Enough. But without further ado, Mr. Brosnan, if you could please hit me with our brand new 2023 extra special Bond theme. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. Pussy Galore. Felix Leiter. His name's Jaws. He kills people. And Stavro Lofen. Identity confirmed. Now, pay attention, 007. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Tom, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand up, sir. You amuse me, Mr. Bond. Do you expect me to talk? Sorry, old man. Section 26, paragraph 5. Need to know. Sure you understand. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. Recording from an undisclosed location somewhere in the middle of a ski chase. No, wait, a boat chase? No, wait, which Bond movie is this anyway? It's a Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason Graber, and with me, as always, Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Jason. And welcome back to the CIC, the podcast that is serving up some fresh caviar today. Zukov. Zukovsky caviar. Beluga. It's got that extra Robbie Coltrane flavor in it. Indeed, indeed. It always goes down smooth. Um, (laughs) But yes, we are here to review The World is Not Enough. I am very excited. We're finally getting into some Pierce Brosnan action. The Brazza. (laughs) Brosna! Brazo! Isn't Brazza one of the Wu-Tang Clan members? It's the Rizza, the Jizza, the Brazza, and the old dirty bastard. (laughs) Could be. All I know is I think Remington Steel brings a level of elegance to the part that was perhaps missing beforehand. (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Well, enough about that. Should we just jump into the sucker? Oh, we're going to have to. Bond. Bond. Can't you just say hello like a normal person? For the world's greatest secret agent. You've defused hundreds of these, right? When the stakes are high. Yeah, but they're usually standing still. And the danger hits too close to home. He has M. By noon tomorrow, you'll feel nothing at all. I thought it was your job to protect me. It's not just professional, it's personal. Your time is up. The world is not enough. Okay, The World is Not Enough, the 19th movie in the quote-unquote official James Bond series. Released in 1999, produced by Babs and Michael G., directed by Michael Apted, who has done a lot of stuff. Uh, Coal Miner's Daughter, Gorky Park, Gorillas in the Mist. Not very Bondian, though. No, but... But, I mean, they kind of went in the... They did Eon's patented get-the-guy-fresh-off-the-Oscar-nom thing, a la uh, Sam Mendes. Yep, yep. And and let's face it, when you got Vic Armstrong uh, directing your second unit stuff, you don't really need to worry about it. Let let the Academy Award winning director direct the actors acting. And then, then, yeah, and then just let Vic Armstrong do all the work, all the other work, because it's going to be awesome. Exactly. And this movie is pretty darn awesome. I think this is surprisingly so. For me, I got to say. Yeah, I know. I know you're not the biggest uh, 
fan or <laughs> of uh, Mr. Brosnan, but I, I go in every time they come in. I don't care who the actor is, but yeah. I remember this one being not as good as I, it was when I watched it again. There's reasons why, which I think I have gotten to the the crux of why. Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, we will. <laughs> but um, surprisingly fun to watch, and surprisingly yeah. fun to watch twice. Yes. Yeah, so, very much so. So kudos to you, Pierce. Indeed. And kudos to Michael Apted and you know Vic Armstrong and everybody involved, including uh, Purvis and Wade, who make their first foray into Bond here, I believe, as well as uh, Bruce Fierstein, who did some writing on this as well, who did the major writing work on Goldeneye and Tomorrow Never Dies. He went subsequently on to write several storylines for video games for 007, which is interesting, sure. including uh, Bloodstone and 007 Legends. And then, of course, Purvis and Wade went on to write all the Bond things. You know, when you say Purvis and Wade, I always think like you're talking about some sort of like fishing company, you know. <laughs> Purvis and Wade. Purvis and Wade, Poles and Wellies. <laughs> don't get wet while you're in the water. Now I available at Orvis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, okay. I am going to talk about the writing just a little bit because, man, the dialogue. The dialogue. You know, the plot is fine. I'm oh, yeah. okay with the. I'm okay with the plot. My problem is with all the dialogue is just it's all one-liners. Like it is right? as if Bond talks in exclusively one-liners through the whole thing. Even expositiony moments feel one-linery to me. Like, oh, just, absolutely, and it's not just him. It's everybody. Everybody is one-liner. It's like they're like. Let's mid. Let's do minimalist on this script. Let's just throw in the stuff we know people like. Right? Yeah. There were like five Bon Mots just in the pre-title sequence. Oh, at least. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's crazy. But again, as far as photography, that stuff is great. I mean, you've got Vic Armstrong as the second unit director there. The director of photography, main, I should say, was Adrian Biddle, who did Aliens, Willow, Thelma and Louise, as well as The Mummy and V for Vendetta. So, I mean, I thought the photography work was great. Yeah. Like that, I have Nothing no... Nothing jarringly bad that wasn't CGI generated. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. The CGI moments were a little... Suspect, but that's more to do though with the uh, with the opening titles for me. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I don't know that ear. <laughs> oh, the ear! Oh, I forgot about the ear. Yeah, that was a little rough. <laughs> yeah, and I cannot say enough about how much I love the skiing scene. In mm-hmm. this in this movie, but we'll we'll get to that. By the numbers, uh, the budget for this movie was 135 million, and while the movie di- only did 126.9 mil domestically, it did 361.7 mil worldwide. So not too shabby, but not hand over fist type money for this one, which yeah. is kind of to be expected. I mean, you figure it's the third Pierce, so that right. you're, you're probably hitting a, a little bit of Brosnan fatigue, perhaps. I don't know. Well, and you know, you got to think about when this came out, Mission Impossible came out. That's true. Right? Which basically turned everything on its end mm-hmm. as far as spy movies go. Right. So people might have had the the taste of cruise in their mouth. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I can't believe you said it that way. <laughs> I had to pause to frame it properly. Um, but I mean, honestly, Mission Impossible kind of changed the way. Yeah. That spy movies were made because I think as we, uh, what's the one that comes after this one with Pierce? Oh, Die Another Day. Yeah, I'm such a Bond fan, aren't I? Um, (laughs) Die Another Day, when we, we did do the review for that, didn't we? No, no. We haven't? No, I just, I just did a lot of ambassadorial duties regarding Die Another Day. Oh, that's right. Well, I know that one feels significantly more Mission Impossible y. 
Yes, very than much so. Any of the other entries do so, and for the worse. Yeah, but. Oh, I agree because James <laughs> Bond movies should not be Mission Impossible movies, exactly. and vice versa. Exactly. But I mean, you know, Bond movies always seem to do better outside of the U.S. Yes, yes, than for they sure. do here. Americans, you know. Yeah, well, you know, what are you gonna do? You know, we we need we need like directors <laughs> to come in and give people motivation and actually act in a Bond film to throw a lot of money at it. <laughs> Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, moving on to music, um, uh, David Arnold makes his uh, second entry, and I actually really liked it. I know you thought that in moments you were texting me that Dude. that occasionally it had a, a a case of the Austin Powers vibe to it. A little bit, a but little bit. I, ever since you sort of started making a point of how much the person who does the music puts their own spin on mm-hmm. Bond stuff and yeah. then watching the thing on Amazon mm-hmm. where they talked about the yeah. I'm a little more I feel like I'm a little more cognizant of how they integrate the known parts of anything, even Mission Impossible what else right. into what I'm watching. And I, you're right. It, it was Bond, but more modern without taking it away from being what it is at its core. Right. So it's definitely nineties. I mean, you can yeah. tell it, you can tell it's nineties, but I really like David Arnold's take on nineties bond. And I yeah. like the fact too, that we're still, you know, the absence of the bond theme in and of itself really doesn't happen until Daniel Craig takes over. And that's the one thing I do really like about this score is just that we still get the Bond theme mm-hmm. right off the bat because I want to hear it, man. And that's that's the one thing that I do get frustrated with in the in the Daniel Craig era as far as music goes. I like to hear that Bond theme and, and it's been a little bit missing over the past almost 15 years now. Yeah, because, you know, we, we want more, you know, intellectual depth and characterization. Suddenly everybody wants to get thinky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we don't want to have a movie that reminds us it's a James Bond movie every five minutes. That's right. Why would you want to do that? Um, but again, certainly uh, David Arnold does a far better job than uh, Eric Serra's weird score in Goldeneye. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> the less spoken about that, the better. Yes. Uh, so talking about uh, characters and actors, you know, obviously Pierce Brosnan is back for his third chapter as 007. He seems a little bit more comfortable in the role. Ironically, though, I actually think he's best in Die Another Day, even though the movie itself that he's in is not maybe the best. I don't know. I, Although, I really liked him in this one. I, I do like him in this one. This, however, is the movie that made famous the pain face, the Pierce Brosnan yes. pain face. Because, boy, do we get a lot of pain. Pain face and also, actually, one of my favorite Brosnan faces is when he gets wet. When he gets soaking wet and he does that. Uh-huh. Like he's so, like, he's shocked so by mad the, that he's wet. He's so, and he's shocked by the cold of the water. And God knows what's in that water. But anyway, we'll get to that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, but I do think he does a good job. Um, as far as, you know, the Bond girls, we've got Electric King played by Sophie Marceau, one of my favorite Bond villains of all time, which, you know, go back to our catalog on the CIC. You can find it everywhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, really like Sophie Marceau as Electric King. Just the idea of her as the villain as far as how it comes about that you find out that she's the villain that you know you think it's one person but it's actually her pulling all the strings mm-hmm. and it and it just deepens it. it it gives it some some oomph yeah well she plays it convincingly enough that even when he's caught her flat out yeah you're still like 
but maybe there's another twist I don't know about. I Until think... she just twists the knife all the way in. Yeah. And or th- in this case, the neck breaking bolt in the back of the chair. Right. I think one of the things that helps too in having a female Bond villain, at least in this case, is that she's not campy at all. Mm-mm. It's one of the times where, you know, because so often I feel like male villains in Bond movies, they quickly become campy. It doesn't take very long. It doesn't Ooh, take very much. Mr. Bond. It doesn't, it doesn't help either that, you know, usually male Bond villains are have some weird quirk or a deformity or something else, which automatically you're already mentally there. Right. Like this, this is going to be campy. I mean, even the, the other villain in this movie, Renard, played by Robert Carlyle, is kind of campy because right. he's got a thing with his eye and then he's got he's the, the bullet, bullet in his, his brain. Yeah, and they, they go full camp with him. But because Electra is just a manipulative woman who knows the power she has over men, it's so much better. Oh, I agree. I agree. Because I've... This movie, I, I felt like, because it had been a while, it had been a minute since I'd watched it before. Yeah. And I couldn't remember if she was, at that point, the the real villain in it or not. I mm-hmm. kept thinking she was. And we've discussed it before, but, you know, I have like a dog's memory retention when it comes to James Bond movies. So, <laughs> I, I'm lucky. I'm like, yeah, that okay, I know which guy was in which movie. <laughs> but... Uh, so it made it enjoyable to watch it for that that first rewatch, just because I was actually engaged in what was happening. Right. Most times I watch a James Bond movie, I'm like, oh, there's a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Donald Pleasance this time. All right. All right. Yeah. Kitty. <laughs> Little kitty. So uh, that, I think, is why I really enjoyed it, was I was actually engaged in watching the movie as a movie, not just in reviewing another James Bond film. Yeah. So, yeah, kudos to her performance on that. I, I I will say though her accent slips here and there a little bit. Yeah. I mean she's a she's a French actress playing a half Russian. Okay, sure. And sometimes it almost sounds like she's trying to push a English accent on us. So it's it's, it's a little inconsistent. It's just kind of. But she's so beautiful that like half the time I'm not even paying attention. <laughs> well, can I just point out that despite the fact that her accent may have been slipping, at least she was continuing to act in a convincing manner, unlike the other Bond girl. <laughs> Denise Richards as Dr. Christmas Jones and me. <laughs> I want to go on record as saying the worst James Bond girl name ever written. But <laughs> not... It- not the worst, not the worst Bond girl, in my opinion. And not maybe not the worst Bond girl, definitely the worst Bond girl name. However, it did inspire an excellent robot chicken sketch, which <laughs> I suggest everybody goes onto YouTube and watch. You will love it because I love it and you all love me. Yeah. Yeah. So Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist. Yeah, okay. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Uh, apparently, Tandy Newton, which would have predated MI2 by a single year, was actually initially pictured for the role by Purvis and Wade, but United Artists had other ideas about that. Yeah, they had two specific ideas, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> two in perfectly mind. shaped specific ideas. ideas in mind. <laughs> and then of course the other Bond girl, if you could call her a Bond girl, I don't know. Uh Dr. Molly Warmflash, <laughs> played by Serena Scott Thomas. I would like to amend my previous statement about <laughs> Bond girl names. <laughs> I always screw her name up because I always think it's Dr. Molly Warm Flesh. (laughs) (laughs) I can see where you might get that confused. Well, you know. Anyway, um, moving right along. 
Some of the other uh, characters we've got, of course, uh, Renard, played by Robert Carlyle, who I definitely like his performance. It doesn't get overly super duper cliched and, and no. campy, despite the fact that they gave him a disfigurement and, and tried to make him campy. At least he played that down a little bit. Yeah. There is a moment in this movie that we'll get to. It's towards the later half of the movie, and I'll point it out, where he does some spectacular acting. Mm -hmm. Like, as it gets closer to his imminent death, he plays up that side of it, the struggle that he's dealing with inside. Oh, yeah. And and so in that respect, he does some really good acting work there. Granted, they put him in some ridiculous moments at the beginning. (laughs) I'm going to hold this fire rock. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, because I am disciple of thing. You hold it now. It's not rock. (laughs) Yeah. And then, again, man, my favorite people, my favorite people in Bond movies... Are, are the allies, almost always, Valentin Zukovsky, played by Robbie Coltrane. God, I love that. I love him. I love him, <laughs> I love him, I love him. He's the best. I can't help smile and giggle when I hear Bond, James Bond. <laughs> and, you know, it's not the most passable, uh, it's a passable Russian accent, but at least it's consistent. It's consistent, and he's so good at embodying the actual character himself mm-hmm. that it it just works. It's just, you know, he is able to be funny and jovial, and at the same time, when we find out later on that he's basically in cahoots with Elektra, it makes sense, and he's able to play both sides of that right. coin. Right. He's almost a perfect interpretation of what Hollywood was trying to accomplish with post-Soviet Union Russians. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, because you know that was prior to the wall coming down. They were the bad guys. We were jovial with them when we needed to be, right? But they were the bad guys, right? And then along comes Robbie Coltrane and Zukovsky, and he's like, yeah, I'm, "I'm, I'm, a former Soviet agent who's now way into Western capitalism." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <Ow! laughs> yeah, exactly. And then of course Judy Dench is back as M, and this is a sort of an interesting one. This is like the precursor to Skyfall almost, because Mm -hmm. this is like another one of those storylines where she's the one that kind of messes up and then she has to, you know. Pay the piper for it. Pay the piper for it. so does her building, as it turns out. So does Q's boat and so does. Man, so many things. (laughs) Uh, Desmond Llewellyn, of course, is back as Q in his final turn as Q. Kind of a, a, a sad little farewell as he's sinking into the floor i i wonder if they plan that i probably should have looked into it whether or not they planned to to make that his farewell or they did you could tell from the writing yeah you know the whole scene was there to introduce john cleese but it was but at the same time when they were at the premiere of this movie desmond llewellyn had every intention of coming back and then you know two weeks later he had the car accident and passed Mm -hmm. away but like well he may have had every intention of coming back (laughs) but eon may not have had every intention and united yeah eon and united artists might have had other thoughts about it so (laughs) uh which of course leads us to r (laughs) played by john cleese He's spectacular in it. Oh my God. I can't wait to get to that part. (laughs) And then it should be said that while Naomi Harris will always remain my money penny, but man, Samantha Bond is no... There's no chop liver, man. No. She is no, she's she got is that a spectacular short money hair penny. And piercing eyes and Yeah. And yeah. presence because she's like ten foot taller than everybody else in the room. Right. She's um, uh she's a, she's a great money penny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have I don't have a problem 
in any of her scenes. No, 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 no. Staying, saying an active watcher. No, 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 no. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, not at all. All right. Well, that pretty much covers uh, <laughs> all the uh, actors and actresses and so forth. Shall we uh, get right into this? Let's do it. Okay, so the uh, pre-title sequence. <sighs> I love a classic gun barrel. That's one thing I just, I love going back to, to a Pierce movie and just having that classic gun barrel right where it needs to be at the beginning. Pierce has a great walk too in oh, the yeah. gun barrel itself. And I do like talking about the music. I love the kind of boogie woogie. Yeah. <laughs> That David Arnold does. Yeah, just it's all like, ooh, yeah, hey, <laughs> I'm gonna shoot you, kapow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just this this is probably man. I don't know if I'd say this is my favorite pre-title sequence of the Brosnan era, but it's certainly a very close tie with Goldeneye because I felt like Tomorrow Never Dies was a little on the generic side, and then Die Another Day is just kind of eh, it's fine. Mm. But this one is spectacular. I love it. And it's the longest pre-title sequence to date as of when this came out. So we get the gun barrel and uh, we open on Bond walking across the street in Bilbao, Spain, headed to the Swiss bank. And uh, he's disguised as a prescription glasses model. (laughs) Or, you know, a great reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper. Yeah, right. (laughs) The Daily Planet. (laughs) Didn't occur to me, but it makes all the sense why you why it occurred to you. Uh, so he goes in and he's he's withdrawing some giant amount of money, and uh, it's kind of weird that it's like hard for this Swiss banker to pull this money out. Well, he to wasn't begin really with. he wasn't withdrawing the money. The bank was giving him the money back that was stolen. Oh, okay. See, this is another thing. I'm always, this is one thing that I do have issue with the plot. This plot was so hard to follow. <laughs> As far as the very specifics of it, of why this is happening and why this is happening, because they're never explaining it as it's happening. They're always explaining it like two scenes later. Right. And it, it drives me crazy when I'm wa- when I was, well, when I was doing my notes, when I'm just watching the movie and it's just action, I'm just like, uh, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, a cigar joke. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, that was lost on me. Now I know. Yeah, there you go. Then the, oh, and I I forgot to mention, actually, the woman played, her only title in in the credits is Cigar Girl, played by Maria Grazia Cucinata. I should have mentioned she is technically a Bond girl as well in this movie. She's a Bond cigar girl, apparently. Bond cigar girl, apparently. So she comes over and offers him a cigar, and and then she's got the amount of money that has been given to him after transfers and bank fees and so and so 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 so. so. Uh, would you like to check my figures? <laughs> and we're just and right into here it. We go. We here we go. Here we go. Right in. Right in. It starts for the never-ending battle all the way through. I mean, it's it's literally maybe the third sentence that Pierce says. Yep. Where, well, I'm I'm sure they're perfectly rounded. <laughs> so, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. So he's here to get this money uh, for Sir Robert King, who is this oil man, this big oil guy, oil baron. Is that oil, what it is? I don't oil know. Oil baron, oil magnet. I am not a scholar. Um, oily fish. <laughs> oily fish. Anyway, who apparently needed the money to buy some sort of report for which an MI6 agent was killed, which is why Bond is there. He wants to know who killed the agent, and then things start to get tense where there's kind of this macho off that takes place where the banker's sort of like, well, you're lucky to get this money. And and Bond's like, well, you're lucky to leave with your life for, you know, 
that whole thing. And then right as, as Bond says that last little macho offline, that's when you get that tiny little button on the side of his glasses. Okay, let me, before we say that, let me point out how how <laughs> annoying was it when he, he literally flashes the glasses at him. And I'm like, is he taking his picture with a spy camera? I was sort of thinking the same thing. And, and all was it like, was was for you to realize he had the glasses in his hand and watch. Right, because that there was no payoff with the flashing of it, other than you now know he's got the glasses in his hand. Right. I almost wonder if that was one of those things where they were making sure to like cross their T's and dot their I's so that continuity wasn't an issue. Right. Like that's the only thing I can think of because it was so. It's, it, it is weird, it and, and it, I was expecting actually, even though I've seen the movie many times, I was almost expecting when he did flip the glasses for you to hear a little. Right. Or something. Or, or a little graphic, that would bloop, bloop, like Target acquired or something. Right, anything. Because he made such an obvious gesture gesture with the glasses. So I'm like, oh, that there's no payoff on that. <laughs> no, Somebody not Somebody just all. said that, that was his direction. Pierce, they need to know you're holding glasses. But I'm sure they're going to realize I'm holding glasses. <laughs> Could you maybe make a, make a motion? Yes. Make a motion. All right. I think it's stupid, but all right. <laughs> So then Bond sets off this tiny little button on his glasses, which then apparently Bluetooth was a thing back in 1999, was it? Well, duh. Okay, well, anyway, well, that sets off a gas distraction bomb in his gun? Was it in his gun? Yeah, the gun was supposed to be because he knew they would pat him down. Right. So the distraction goes off and Bond knocks out the other two guys or whatever it is and gets his gun back and puts it to the banker's head and he's like, I need a name. That's all I need. I'm going to count to three. You can count to three, can't you? Right. I actually like that one. That's one of the few... Well, that comes after the line before the gun blows up where he's like, as an accountant, I can say, I don't think the numbers are in your favor or something like yeah. that. I'm uh. like, so we're just throwing them at each other now, yeah. right? Yeah, it's just a, now it's Here. just a Bon Madoff. Pierce, here's your bucket of shit. <laughs> Baker, here's your bucket of shit now. Be like monkeys. <laughs> and throw shit and at throw each other. throw shit at each other. <laughs> Yeah, because the count to three one is actually clever and fun. Yes. Had it been like the one of two in that scene rather than one of 85, right. it would have been much better. It's almost as if they played the numbers games with quips. Hmm. Mm. Deep thoughts. So, <laughs> so before Bond, of course, can get the info from the banker, because he's just about to spill the beans, the uh, girl with the perfectly rounded figures <laughs> throws a knife into the banker's neck. What a shot! No kidding! From across the entire hallway and a staircase, right, right center in the back of his neck, right. which, by the way, would have hit like 10 bones, right. and, it Probably- went, and it went in the wrong way to get in between the spine. I'm just going to point that out right now. <laughs> Dude, what a shot. She should have been throwing knives off the boat instead of shooting them with a 50 caliber machine gun. Probably would have had better aim based on on that later part of this (laughs) 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 pre-title. So yeah, so she takes off and Bond thinks about running after her, but then he realizes that there's a bunch of security that's going to come up to get him. So he shuts the door. And this is another thought thing that I didn't realize maybe this is just like an england thing do all doors in england have locks at the top uh, have you I noticed know, that i probably a european thing i just uh, for some reason it sticks out in my brain that there's a lock at the top of this office right like the top of the door instead of just where the handle is yeah i'm sure that was probably something that's Old, old European thinking. Right. Not that new American deadbolt thinking. If any one of our international listeners would want to uh, get in touch with us. <laughs> if any of our tens of listeners out there knows the answer to this conundrum, please answer this conundrum. 
So yeah, the banker's dead and she takes off. Bond locks the door and then he's trying to figure out how he's going to get down off of whatever floor of this room. I think Fourth it's like- floor? Fifth floor? No, it's higher than that. Twelfth floor? I think it's like- Eighty-fifth floor? I think it's like tenth. I don't know. It's so around It's 10. a tall building. It's a tall building. It's about He's got to repel. He's got to repel down. And um, just as he's about to figure out what he's going to do, one last guy rises almost like a zombie. He looks almost like a zombie. He's about to shoot him. And then suddenly there's a little red dot on his chest and Bond realizes what's up. And that guy gets shot. And then Bond's looking around for who the sniper is that just saved his life. And then from there, the sniper mysteriously just sort of goes away or we don't hear from the sniper anymore <laughs> and he decides well what's stronger than the rope from some window blinds to repel your entire body down with that is going to be my first choice every time every time every time window blinds so he <laughs> so he ties that to what looks like actually at first i was like i paid very close attention especially on the second watch of this i was like is he really tying this to a loop on his fucking pants and then i realized it's to his belt mm-hmm so he at least tied it to his belt, which yes. makes, at least makes more sense than a belt loop. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and then he ties the other end to some dead guy. Or no, he's not even dead. He's just knocked out. Yes. And then he does this interesting pulley system. He like wraps it around something to create like a pulley. It's it's very intricate, actually, <laughs> considering how many people are about to bust down the door. But James he, Bond knows <laughs> physics. He does, apparently. So then he breaks the window and he jumps out and the guy slides around the floor and he grabs onto the, onto the leg of this table. That looks now, like it should be far more robust than it turns oh out to be. Oh my God. It was if it was made with balsa wood and some super glue. Because hmm. that thing broke like it was nothing. <laughs> like nothing. <laughs> But it worked perfectly as a break so sure. that Brosnan didn't, you know, right. fall and break himself. <laughs> so so anyway, so he walks away. Love how, like, none of the onlookers who see him rappel down, none of them report to the police. He just no, no. casually walks away. away. With his big old metal case of money. Right. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. So then we cut back to MI6. Uh, the pre-tell sequence not done, kids. Strap in. <laughs> then we get the uh, the cigar gag in the uh, scene with Money Penny in the office when mm-hmm. Bond comes to meet Money Penny, and I know exactly where to put that and throws it in the trash, which actually was a nice little retort. But it, it, yeah. It, it, Definitely was in keeping with the two characters. Right. Very much so. The gag is largely lost, though, probably on Generations Now, who probably don't know that it's a callback to Bill Clinton. But also, I think without getting too detailed into it, (laughs) one could intimate things from the shape of the cigar case that transcend cigars. Yes. And I'll let you people go ahead and think about that for yourself. Talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) I'll give you a topic. (laughs) A cigar and a case and a phallic. (laughs) The cigar phallic. (laughs) Discuss. (laughs) So Bond goes in after being scolded by M to stop flirting with Money Penny, essentially. (laughs) Like in every movie. In every movie. And he returns the money to uh, Mr. King, Sir King, or Sir Robert King. And I did like the line in there where Mr. King is considering the services of Bond in a future endeavor. Right. And he's like, well, construction's not my specialty. And M's like, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite, <laughs> yes. One of the better quips, well, actually. Well, can I say that putting once they put Judy Dench into the role, they started writing for M significantly better. Yes. Because... Yes. It became she, less generic. It it forces them to stretch their 
their right. minds and think of something original and interesting. Well, I think M stopped being sort of the, here's your mission, off you go. Judy Dench brought the role to be an active participant at everything. Yeah. But she gets to fire off her own little snark of having <laughs> to deal with Bond all the time, which if you James Bond worked for you, you would be mumbling shit like that under your breath all, all day the long. Time. Yeah, so, it's just, can you believe what this... I mean, he's good, but oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. So we discovered that the report was supposed to identify the terrorist who tried to destroy King's pipeline. And Mr. King has gone off to get his money. And meanwhile, Bond is having a drink with M and... Bond's trying to figure out why someone would want to keep him alive in getting out of the bank, mm-hmm. and they still haven't gotten any leads on who it was or anything. And then suddenly you get that shot of him like rubbing his fingers together, and he sees the chemicals working on his fingers, and he puts not just two and two together, but like five and five together. Right. Because, again, this is another one of those moments where I had no idea how they were going to explain away how this whole thing, this bomb even worked. <laughs> Until like two <laughs> scenes later, I'm like, after watching it twice and going, oh, oh, okay. Can okay. I just point out that apparently MI6 doesn't have a functioning telecommunication systems in the building? Right? Like M like couldn't the- pick up a phone, <laughs> could call Q and go, don't let him touch the money. Right? No. In 1999. Yeah, yeah. Bond's definitely faster than a phone call. I'm going to go ahead and let that happen. <laughs> yeah, right. She does make a lot of poor decisions. That's I'm just a- saying. <laughs> So the money's got chemicals on it, and the the lapel pin that's that's on Robert King triggers the money. There's there's a little piece of metal thingy inside that's got a responder, a magnesium flare, magnesium. Piece, yeah, it sets it on fire. Boom! It's, it's basically a fertilizer bomb, as we learn eighteen yes. scenes later in the movie. Right, exactly. You know, in, in Desmond Llewellyn's explanation of things, Devin A. Seven. Yes, it's. Kind of funny to me, though, that after the bomb goes off, that there's this huge hole in MI6 and Cigar Girl's out there on a boat on the Thames waiting, which is weird. She set it off. Well, she didn't set it off. He set it off with his lapel pin. No, it was a transmitter. No, but she wouldn't know where he was in the building. Because hmm. it's it's the proximity. See see how see how incredibly complicated thought, this whole thing is. It's there's the no pro- reason for her to be on the boat if she wasn't the one who set it off. No, but she's on the boat because she's trying to. She was waiting for the explosion to go off so that when she had a, a line of sight, she could shoot the other person in the room. Oh, okay. Because that's why there's like a little dot on Bond when he gets to the safe room. And in the safe room, he's looking out the window and he sees her and then she's got a dot on him. Oh, I don't even remember that. Yeah. Did I watch the right movie? No, you did. Uh, Again, this is why Mm. I was complaining earlier about how complicated everything is. Because it's very complicated. I guess in my brain, I'm like, oh, she started a bomb. (laughs) She had petrol glasses. (laughs) Oh, there he is in a room. Kapow! I mean, I figured, I think in my mind, like, if there was a radio transmitter, she was tracking the transmitter where it was in the building. And once it got in the right place, she detonated. I don't even remember a dot. There was a red dot. Wow. I wish I could say I'd watch it again for a third time to verify that, but nope. we've We've got much work to do. We do. We don't have time to be watching this movie yet again. We don't have time again. to verify each and every bit of minutia that I might have missed. That's what you guys are here for. Heck yeah. <laughs> anyway, so the bomb goes off. Cigar Girl tries to kill Bond. Fails. And so Bond tries to go after her in Q's fishing boat, so to speak. <laughs> which the, we find out later. The Q jet boat, which I love. I love this boat so much. 
It's that, pretty great. That whole scene is pretty amazing. It's it's fantastic. I do think it's funny how tiny it is and how it looks like that thing could tip at a... At it a, almost did. It did. At the, right, at the, right at the beginning of it, yeah. he nearly tips that thing. And I wonder how much Pierce is driving and how much the stunt guy... Because it looked like... It looked like Pierce was in there, a so, lot of it. I, on special features that I watched on the version I was watching, mm-hmm. they had a boat where they had all the camera rigs set up on it. So you know, he's actually driving that boat in the river when you see those scenes. That, that's mm-hmm. him doing that. But I couldn't tell from the thing whether they actually did any long scenes of him driving it or not. Because that thing seemed very hard to control. Yeah, very much so. It just looked It looked like it was really squirrely. So I don't know if he's like some master speedboatsman or something. <laughs> he's like, oh, that Tom Cruise fellow, I bet you he can't do this. His, his two loves in life are painting and speedboating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've got this one done. We don't need the stuntman. I'm fine. <laughs> just an aside, too. I was just thinking about this. How hard is it? And maybe one of our tens of listeners in the UK can uh, let us know this. How hard is it to get a boat on the Thames River? Like, what kind of permits... <laughs> or uh, like licenses you need to get on the Thames. I mean, that's a pretty major, you know, that runs right through town, man. Like if you don't yeah. have the proper papers in order, how are you getting your boat on there? Like that was some proper planning there. I don't know. I feel like it's probably an open waterway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. That's probably just America where they make you pay for every little place that you put your well, boat, park we, your boat. We definitely do because capitalism. <laughs> but um, I mean, you can go on rivers and stuff out here and I don't think you have to have a permit per se. Right. But All right. I'll let it. I'll I'm let more it. concerned how much they had to block off the river to shoot all of that. Yeah, indeed. And uh, this is when we get the, uh, the Braza wet face, Ugh. which is made grosser by the fact that allegedly this is all in the Thames River. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm aware of, it sounds like the Thames River is very dirty. Now, this granted, this was 1999. Maybe things were better then. Again, maybe one of our tens of listeners in the UK can educate me on uh, just how bad it was that river in the late 90s. All I know is- he's spitting out water. He's spitting yes. out river water. Yeah. What? I hope he's up on his shots. That's and all I'm saying. I, the stuff that got put into that, that river over <laughs> centuries and centuries uh-huh. of time. Yeah. And I, it's a particular shade of green that I've never seen in a river outside of Chicago. Yeah. And <laughs> I've been told, and this could be apocryphal or not, but the reason that the, the river that's in Chicago- it's so green is because they dye it green every year for St. Patrick's Day, mm. and it never really goes away. Mm. But they don't have St. Patrick's Day in the UK that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware Ironically, of. Ironically, considering what it is. Well, yeah. Well, we're the ones that make way too big of a deal out of it. It's because we like to get drunk. Exactly. It's any reason to drink. Yeah, every, St. Every Patrick's, eth- every, every nationality that's outside of our own, let's make it a drinking holiday. P- pretty much. <laughs> But I digress. <laughs> so he's, you know, he's chasing after. Initially, when I was watching this, I was thinking, why doesn't he just shoot a torpedo? And then I realized, oh, he's trying to keep her alive. So he's just trying to disable the boat more, right. more than anything. So she goes under this drawbridge that is closing back down. And then he does the dive. And we get the classic Pierce Brosnan tie adjustment underwater, mm-hmm. which is kind of perfect for the 90s. It's just very 90s. <laughs> I'll allow it. I do love the moment where he splashes the meter maids. I heard that was a big hit overseas. I can imagine. They were putting, when, a, they were putting a boot clamp on yeah. the car. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Nobody likes those fuckers. <laughs> no. Anyway. And then, oh, the steering on the street 
with a boat. Mm-hmm. Because sure, that works, right? That works. Of course it does. And and also that the that the thrusters on the back of the boat are like Batman, like the Batmobile just Batman shooting level you, rocket thrusters. Yeah. <laughs> shooting you down the street. That that don't even fire. They fire sequentially in some of those scenes <laughs> rather than directly. Right. So if one of those jets was putting out more force than the other jet, you would probably be going the uh-huh. opposite direction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Fishing boat. Fishing boat. Okay, sure. Just as he he finally goes through this restaurant and uh, what are those frozen things called? Those little frozen pastries with the filling in the middle? They're little balls with puff pastry. Oh, uh, Bonbons? I always note as he's careening through the window of that final restaurant and landing back in the water, there's a big plate of those puff pastry things. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I love those. Anyway, moving on. So, <laughs> look, there's a sale of pennies. <laughs> oh, the new Buicks are in. Look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament. So, <laughs> so he's he's back in the water. And he's chasing after her, and now we're right near the O2 Dome, or previously called the Millennium Dome at the time. So, at this point, I guess he considers it safe to fire the torpedoes at her because she can easily jump out and get out of the way or whatever. She's heading for the, she's heading for shore anyway. Right. So she jumps out and gets in the balloon, which just happens to be here. just happens to be a balloon there. just happens to be a hot air balloon right next to the O2. Very convenient. But she gets in the balloon and tells everybody to fuck off, basically, (laughs) with her gun. (laughs) And then Pierce does this wonderful jump off of Something. Yeah. <laughs> it was like uh, Night Rider. He just hit turbo and... Yeah, just turbo and it just shoots him into the air perfectly. So he can jump out of the cockpit of that boat, which apparently is a lot easier than I realized. To get, full, <laughs> to get fully out of that cockpit and grab one of those ropes. I forget what they're called. I didn't write it down this time. <laughs> one of the ropes. The mooring ropes, I believe That, that sounds good. Uh, on the balloon. And she's taking off and as she's going up into the air there are helicopters coming for her and she knows she's cornered she's looking at the is it propane what fires is it hydrogen it's probably hydrogen right if it was hydrogen it would explode that's true okay maybe helium maybe it's helium you don't know know, you know it's not helium i don't even know it's It's it's, sorry it's either cng or something like propane right because they're actually using a hot air they're not using if it was helium they would just seal the balloon and right and they would just rise okay so yeah like a zoran (laughs) blimp exactly exactly which by the way this this fucker goes up like a zoran blimp (laughs) i'm like it looked like i'm like it rose just as fast as the zoran blimp but it blew up the same way too i'm like well <laughs> Miniatures tend to blow up all the same. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I just wish it had said Zorn on the side. Oh it's, my god! It's what a, like what a, a nice little touch little that would have been. That would have been absolutely. <laughs> so she's thinking about blowing herself up, and uh, Bond is like, "I can protect you, and don't do this. We can." And he's like, "I can protect." And honestly, this is—it's really sad because she doesn't have any other lines in this whole movie. Mm-hmm. That is one of the worst delivered lines when she says, not from him. It was like Mm -hmm. such, it was a 
bad little moment of acting right there. Maybe English isn't her first language. We didn't get to listen to her enough to know one way or the other. Well, I did actually do a little bit of homework on her. She does almost exclusively Italian films. Okay. So there you go. That's what I'm saying. So anyway, he's like, I can protect you. And she's like, not from him. And then she shoots the tank and Bond drops down, down, down until he lands on the O2 dome. And he's sliding, sliding, sliding. And then he apparently dislocates his collarbone in the process of stopping himself. And the balloon blows up and roll credits. And that gets us into the uh, title graphics, which... uh, very much a product of the 90s. So oily. Yeah, the whole so drippy. The whole oil and water not mixing motif thing. And then the oil pouring on the naked ladies thing, which which is like half Goldfinger, half almost like a precursor to Quantum of Solace. Right. That's all I kept thinking was is, oh, is that Strawberry Fields? <laughs> and the thing that looked the most dated were those disco ball kaleidoscope right? things with the women's with the same woman's face and all of the mm-hmm. that was silly. Oof, boy. But that being said, uh, the song by Garbage is so good. Yeah, like ah, oh, it's such a great Bond theme. I, at least there's that. There's no Shell Crow, <laughs> <laughs> and it's garbage, and it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. We're moving on. <laughs> So we move into Act 1, and uh, we are at the funeral for Sir Robert King, and we get bagpipes, and I almost think this whole scene is just to set up who Elektra is. Sure. So we see Elektra King, who hugs M. So obviously there's this whole, you know, personal connection that M knows who this whole family is. Right. I forgot to mention earlier that M went to, I think it was Oxford. Law school. Law school with Sir Robert King. So then from there, we quickly cut over to uh, Scotland, MI6, as they're apparently repairing. Well, there's a gigantic hole in the building. Yeah. So they went to Scotland. One wonders why they couldn't just use the underground facility that we we saw later on. Well. (laughs) I I didn't point this out. But there's literally a launch tube for 007's boat. Right? I I was going to bring that up as well. I'm like, what is propelling that thing out so forcefully? The rockets from the back. Oh, okay. but I'm sure. just like, didn't they have boats in uh, Skyfall? At, at water level? Yeah. The, yeah. They went into yep. the... the and yep. Why wouldn't you just... And because it looks so much cooler, Jason. <laughs> how many times has that building been blown up in Bond lore that they finally get... At least they finally decided to decommission it. They smart. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Act one. Wait, one last thing about oh. the one last thing about the jet boat being shot out of the MI6 thing. I think it's funny because there's a shot, a reverse shot from the back end of the boat just before it shoots out. And it looks like that moment when you're on a log ride at Six Flags <laughs> and it's about to go yes. down the descent. Yes. Where it's just kind of floating back and forth. It's just kind of bloop, bloop, bloop. Like, and then suddenly acceleration <laughs> right out of that hole like Wheel. it's the mi6 ride exactly anyway back to act one <laughs> we cut to scotland mi6 because where else would you go scotland's awesome so they're at the mi6 there and this is when we find out that the money was dipped in fertilizer bomb stuff called urea yeah and then one of the notes had the metal anti-counterfeit strip replaced with magnesium which served as the detonator mm-hmm. and king's lapel pin had been swapped with a fake that had a transmitter inside it unbeknownst to him so there's your official explanation 
But honestly, my favorite part of this whole scene is the shot of everyone getting dossiers except for Bond. And Bond is so mad. Oh, yeah. He's so mad. He's like, Tanner, Tanner, I'm so mad, Tanner. (laughs) Just losing his mind over not getting a dossier. He was very unhappy. Maybe the most angry I've ever seen Bond. That's not true. Anyway. Definitely that Bond. Definitely that Bond. So... Tanner explains that Bond has been... He hasn't been cleared. He hasn't been cleared for medical because of things. His shoulder. He's His shoulder. He's got you know his arm in a sling Which and whatnot. Which they continually remind us throughout the movie. Oh, so much. They, Maybe too much. They, they really pound you over the head with that one. You know, the world is not enough, but squeezing <laughs> Pierce Brosnan's shoulder, there was definitely enough of that. Definitely enough of that. So, of course, we cut to uh, Dr. Molly Wormflesh, and that's when we get the scene with Dr. Molly Wormflesh. Uh-huh. Let's just skirt the issue, shall we? Oh, my God. That was so terrible. So, Lovely shot, though. Anyway. Um, <laughs> well, it was well lit. Well lit. Um, uh, excellent uh, yes. camera placement. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Everything everything worked just fine. Uh, so, you know, they kind of get fresh or whatever. and Bond she, persuades her to clear him. So long as he lives up to his end of the bargain. Which according we never do to, find out if he does. Yeah, we, we really don't. Uh, but anyway, that brings us right into the uh, scene with Q, where Bond walks down into the Q laboratory in Scotland, where there's a bagpipe. Of course, the gadget they're working on is a bagpipe because they're in Scotland, because they couldn't possibly come up with a different gadget that has nothing to do with Scotland while they're in Scotland. It must be a bagpipe. Did you wonder for a minute if that was the guy that was playing bagpipes at the funeral? I did not think that. I was thinking more, is that the same guy that like got stuck in the phone booth in the GoldenEye Q scene? <laughs> or, or you know, or the guy that gets launched by the car? Or just one of the very well one sure. of the many hijinks that happen in the in the Q. And when he office. whips out with the flamethrower portion of all I can think of is the dude that plays the ACDC song oh, on the yeah, interwebs yeah. with the flames and everything. And I'm just right. like, which came first? The chicken hmm. or the egg? Hmm. So then right off the bat, we get the double pun. Uh-huh. We get the, guess we all have to pay the piper sometime, eh, Q? type down 007, oh. which... Thank goodness for that one. Yeah. At least that one, I'll allow it because it's a 80 or almost 90 year old man at that point spouting it. Who's basically riding off into the sunset. Right. Exactly. So then we find out, of course, that the Q boat was a retirement boat. Fishing boat. Stocked with torpedoes right. <laughs> for fishing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we don't know what kind of fishing Q is going to do. Maybe <laughs> right. he was hunting gigantic whales. <laughs> so you just don't know. You just don't know. But that is also when we get our introduction to R, played by John Cleese, which he's <laughs> so Monty Python and it's oh so wonderful. The whole scene with the coat <laughs> is right out of meaning of life, you know? You take your coat down from this peg, place it over here. <laughs> right. You know, first, you take your right arm and place it into the right sleeve then your left arm into the left sleeve here are all your poppers here are all your zippers. just like just pull the thing <laughs> it's actually a really great it is he even gets a good one-liner in on bond while he's describing the car oh yeah bond says hopes if you open the door and you might be this is 007 if you're q does that make him r Ah, yes, the legendary 007 wit. Or at least half of it. Which I'm just like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> burn, sick burn. <laughs> 
so then we get the the coat gag where the the coat blows up and he's just turns into a safety ball and they, they both kind of share a moment like hey which actually i love yeah uh, kind of love that it was great moment. we get the you know the final little moment where he's like always have an escape plan and and then <laughs> down into what i believe is where the pool table opened up which is so silly that they just they just can't get away from stuff like that they can't get away from things that you would find in like a a game room that slide away to reveal something Something else else. (laughs) well i'm just like i'm watching it going is he going down to where the boat docks are (laughs) or is he just (laughs) well anyway So from here, we get this kind of quiet moment where Bond is doing research on the internet in 1999. With a touchscreen computer. With a touchscreen computer, yes. Although this is technically probably not the internet. It's probably the MI6 intranet. Absolutely. So we learn that Electra was kidnapped and that she was able to, quote unquote, escape. The ransom was $5 million. Right. American. American. Very important. And that he sort of uncovers that the money, the explosive money, was $5 million American by way of the exchange rate. It was convenient that the exchange rate didn't change from the last time yeah, that they figured thinking, all that out. All they had to do on that graphic that shows that information <laughs> was say, as of this date, and it would totally would have bought into the whole thing. Right. But man, that fluctuates by the hour sometimes Yeah, to get that exact yeah. currency exchange. Very much so. So then he tries to look at Electra's file and he realizes that he's been locked out by M and he's like, whoa, what's going on there? So then he goes downstairs. <laughs> it really does feel like they're just in a small house. Yeah. Like like MI6 Scotland is it's just just, it's, it's just kind it's, of a quaint mansion. It's a wee castle. It's a wee castle. It's, it's a, a weird wee castle. Like wee, like even smaller than the Skyfall. Yeah, it's, it's not even James Bond's house <laughs> in Skyfall. Right. It's, you know, it's a, uh, uh, what are those things now? The An uh, Airbnb? Yeah, it's just it's just like an Airbnb in Scotland. You know, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> so anyway, so Bond comes down the stairs and confronts M about sealing the file. And that's when we get this, the big theme in this movie between Bond and M is insubordination. Right. I've noticed. And this is sort of the first showing up of it where he's like basically calling her out in front of everyone. Yes. Like, what is going on? Why can't I get to the only you were the only person that could seal this file? And she's like, everybody leave. And then I'm going to drop the smack on this motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> I always want to see her just going slap him on the face. Dumbass. But I do like there's a really good bit of acting here, too. Right after she threatens him with insubordination, where... Pierce just sort of walks slowly and quietly closer to her. And he's like, what happened? And it was like such a genuine moment of acting. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, they didn't ruin it with a bond mod. <laughs> <laughs> what a ridiculous amount of restraint they showed here in this scene that didn't require anything like that. Right, exactly. So basically we find out that when Electra had been kidnapped, Robert King went to her to to get advice on what to do. And obviously MI6 doesn't negotiate with terrorists. Right. So she basically gave him advice on how to handle it. So instead of negotiating, they held off, used her as bait, and then sent in agents to try and save her. And in the meantime, she managed to escape. Now I'm wrapping this up in a nice little bow. Right. But my God, if I didn't have to go two or three more scenes before I figured all this shit out. (laughs) I'm just saying. It's frustrating. Anyway, so basically they come to the conclusion that the amount of the money 
that was returned to Robert King was basically a message that Renard was back. So that's when we get to a hilarious moment where we get this round table of discussing who Renard is and all everything, all things Renard and the floating a, holographic head. Oh my God. A giant floating holographic head. This is like the precursor to the Tupac hologram show. <laughs> But this giant head, and it's so bad too. Right. It's it's like the graphics from like Duke Nukem. From <laughs> <laughs> I kind of half expected some some guy to walk up like a big guy in a squid suit to walk up and go General Mateen, <laughs> or Judy Dench walks up and goes. Many Bothans died to get us this information. <laughs> it was that bad. I wanted to see some random character trying to walk and just walking into a wall over and over and over again, <laughs> just sliding, walking into a wall and not going anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, just very, it's just amazing that they would have this level of detail, right? detailed information on Renard. You could have done this with screens, right? Right. The doctor could have come in, clicked the thing, screen comes up. This is Renard. He's got a bullet. They could have done some really cool animation where, like, the bullet was like, I feel like, like the torpedo going into the Death Star. We'll just keep that thing going. Right. I feel like Eon went to their graphics team and went, All right, what can you do that's different here? Yeah. Like, like, what? Let's do something different. Like, and they came up. We just found an extra 300,000 pounds. In the budget. What can you give us that looks bing bang woofy wowser from right. the computer department? And they're like, well, we just got this new program. It's called 3D Max. And we're going to <laughs> sculpt this man's head. <laughs> it's going to be fantastic. And begin. So, yeah, we get the holographic model of Renard's head. We we get some background on him that he first he worked for Russia. Then he was in North Korea. Now he's sort of freelance. He's bad. All the holiday spots. And when... Even though Electra escaped, when 009 was there trying to rescue her, he was the one that put the bullet that's still in Renard's head. So then we get the whole explanation. Oh, he feels no pain. Mm -hmm. And as it gets closer to his Abdullah... Medulla oblongata. Medulla oblongata, that he feels less and less and becomes stronger and stronger until he's dead. Dead, basically. (laughs) And then we get this great moment where Bond magically has passed his medical. Uh And we get the most... Caddy office moment in the history. Oh, of, it was fantastic. It's great. Samantha Bond completely sold it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Without being over the top at all. Yeah. Just kind of walks past and I forget what exactly what she says. I see the good doctor has cleared you. Notes you have exceptional stamina. I'm sure she was touched by his dedication. To the job in hand. She just kind of Says it in passing and then leaves. Yeah, and- like, you slut, Jane, you ignorant <laughs> slut. <laughs> so from there, we, uh, since Bond has now passed his medical, miraculously, we find out that uh, he is to do a shadow operation of Electra. And I do love the little line from M about shadows are always in front or behind, never, never on, on top. top. Yeah, I'm like, uh Well, what's funny, too, is in this whole movie, I feel like everyone around Bond is basically... Uh, they all have this image of who Bond is and like he literally can't keep his dick in his pants. Like right. ever, like ever. Like he's just at all costs, remind him not to sleep with this person. <laughs> well, yeah. I and mean, if you think about it, they really... And actually the whole 
Brosnan era is like that. Right. They use him as this like dancing monkey in, in a lot of ways. Like, like I think about, I want to say it's in Goldeneye where where they're in the car where M and Moneypenny and Bond are in the car. <laughs> and it's M who says it. She says, yes, and pump her for information or something like that. And it's just so, ugh, it's so bad. Well, you know, I feel like with Pierce Brosnan, they really downplayed the drinking aspect yes. of Bond. Yes. I mean, it's pretty prevalent in this one in particular, mm-hmm. but I think they're like, well, he has to have a vice that people can point out. And being a drunk isn't nearly as PC these days, right. remember, 99, as it is to be misogynist to women, remember, 99. Right. Well, and the fact that they already pointed out in GoldenEye that he's a misogynist dinosaur, right? a relic from the Cold War, yada, yada, yada. So now when he's a total slut, they call him out on it. And totally slut-shaming him. That's they great. They slut-shame him to death in these movies. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's really fun. I thought about that, but that's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, whereas, you know, Roger had free reign. Oh, yeah. Pierce is called out on every dalliance that he has. <laughs> so so then we cut to uh, Azerbaijan. Ah, Azerbaijan. Oh, the jewel of the place that it is. <laughs> yes, the jewel of Eastern, Southern Europe. Or... The Eastern, Southern, Northern Eurasia. <laughs> yes. Anyway. We know spy movies, people. We don't know geography. I literally had to look up where Azerbaijan was on a map. So anyway, Bond has magically had his uh, fancy new BMW brought out there to drive in Azerbaijan. I'm sure nothing will happen to it while he's there. Not at all. So anyway, (laughs) we see ahead of the scene these uh, helicopter tree trimmer things, which of course- Foreshadowing. Hmm. These couldn't possibly be used for something later on. Other than cutting trees. Right. So he drives in. We see all the the pipeline construction progress. And the locals are mad. They're very typical locals. Waving the flag. Waving the flags. So they're mad. And then Bond gets there. And Davidoff's already there. And Davidoff's like, why are you here? Can't you see? People are mad. And there's an uprising. And this is is bad. And Bond's like, well, I'm here from Universal Exports. And I'm here to see Electric King. And... And he's like, well, Electric King isn't here. And then suddenly the helicopter comes. He's like, oh, shit. What is she doing here? There she is now. (laughs) Yep. So she comes down and immediately, immediately just like tromps right into the sacred church that that the locals are mad about. I'll tell you though, what very nice little bit of subtlety there is before she goes into the church, she puts a scarf on and wraps her head up. Very, very, very sensitive. And, yeah. Very sensitive. But they don't they don't make a big deal of it. I just thought that was kind of a nice little piece that well, was probably far more elevated than the movie delivered. Something that I feel happens all the time, actually, with Purvis and Wade scripts is that they write all kinds of clever, thoughtful details like that. And most of them never make it. Right. They don't get off the script. Right. And this was one of those ones that I bet they wrote. I sure. bet they wrote that in there. So she walks into the church and meets the the local head of... And they talk very quietly inside the church. And I found it really funny, too, that the security detail let Bond walk past them. Right. Almost into the church. Exactly. I'm like, how is this even happening? So this guy... Nobody told you he works for an import export company. <laughs> He's not suspicious at all. Right. Electric King's security detail is terrible. So, so anyway, they talk for a little bit, Electra and this gentleman from the local area. And he comes out and he tells all his Makes people. Makes a pronunciation. Yes. 
And everybody is very, very happy. And it turns out that Electra is going to spend millions of dollars to move the pipeline's uh, trajectories around the, the church. Right. And everyone around Electra is very pissed off. Yeah, well, because this was a, this was purposely done to establish that she's from the area. And it's also there to establish that she's not entirely bad. Right. She's just mostly bad. Well, <laughs> she, she's not even bad. She's just... She's, she's one-minded. She's, she's, she's very one-minded and revenge-oriented. Right. Because she'll go on later to say, you know, she doesn't look at her father favorably a lot of things. Uh, she killed like, him, so no. Well, but I mean, <laughs> they're trying to layer the fact that just being kidnapped and kind of left as bait wasn't what was motivating her. There was anger over her father appropriating her mother's money. Right. Her mother's cachet. He basically built his legacy off of the Hers. legacy of her mother's family. Right. And so this is your first kind of shot at the bow saying, I'm fixing something that my father did right. for the people where I come from. Right. You know, and I think that's super important because. Well, it makes her a more realistic villain, too. Yeah, and, because and a more sympathetic villain. Yes, absolutely. Because she does care about a certain group of people. She just doesn't give a rat's ass about people in Istanbul. Right. So, <laughs> well, you know, it used to be Constantinople. She so, must hate people from Constantinople. It, it's probably those Constantinopleans. Constantinopleans? <laughs> yeah. Them. Say that three times fast. Exactly. So that's when Bond introduces himself to her and he tells her that she may be in danger. And she laughs it off, rightfully so. It's right. another great moment of hers that sort of establishes that she's not an idiot. She's yeah. like, well, of course I'm in danger yeah. all the time. The Russians hate me. The Turks hate me. Everyone hates me right you know, now. Everybody who likes NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys hate me. <laughs> I'm hated by everybody. 1999. So <laughs> we get an overview of where the King Pipeline is going. And then she gets that nice little quip in about how MI6 has already failed her family twice and that she's not going to rely on Bond to protect her. And then, oh God, we get one last, mm -hmm. in this scene, we get one last really bad quip where she's telling Bond that she's got to go out and look at the survey lines. And Bond's like, I came prepared for a cold reception. Right. Ugh. So he takes up a pair of skis. Right. That but just, of course, fit him perfectly. Yeah, and he's got boots. Sure. I mean, he did come he's prepared. Got, I mean, he, he's got the nicest looking onesie on, <laughs> on that mountain. <laughs> but not a fur hat. Not a fur hat. Not a fur hat. Which brings us to the snow chase. So, yeah, we get to the scene where they go skiing. Hella skiing. Hella skiing. I want to point out, hella skiing. Yes, very fancy. And also something where most hella skiers will wear... Protection. Yes, not furry fur hats. Furry mink hats. Or no hat at all. Well, and what's, yeah, no hat at all, which in today's standards, I mean, everyone wears a helmet on the slopes now. Right. That's the other funny thing about this whole thing is that everything was filmed at this at this ski resort called uh, Chamonix in Mont Blanc, France. Okay. So, and it is obvious too. I was watching it and as somebody who skied and snowboarded their whole life, I'm like, that is a ski run that has been groomed. Like, the <laughs> Shh, don't tell it. Don't ruin the Hollywood magic. Oh, yes. Well, you know, anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so they're at the top of this mountain and then they ski a little bit and we get a very, some very Honor Majesty Secret Service vibes as they're skiing down mm -hmm. part of the mountain. They get to this lookout point and they see where the two parts of the pipeline meet 
Yeah, those two computer-generated parts of yes, the Yes, yes, <laughs> indeed. And uh, that's when we get our first glimpse of the Parahawks, which is a very fun thing. Oh, this, that... I love the Parahawks. They were pretty fantastic. And I are they real? I think they might actually... Like, now, I know they're not things that are generally used in life, but they seem... All of it seems like it could be legitimately done. Yeah. Although I question whether the fan would be very good at propelling the vest, the ski portion of it. Yeah. So the only thing I didn't buy was like maybe somebody throwing a switch to snowmobile mode. Yeah. The propulsion aside, I felt like that was very feasible and looked really good. Yeah. I mean, super duper props to Vic Armstrong. This might be my favorite scene in the whole movie. I saw, well, I don't know. The ski boat. I love the ski boat. I, that, that speed If boat. I had to go between one or the other, I think I would definitely say that I like the skiing. It's definitely my favorite James Bond speed skiing boat. scene. Yeah. Because it's not fake. Right. There's no rear projection. That's right. another thing that makes it so good. Even though there's clearly moments where if Pierce is on skis... He's barely moving, but it doesn't yeah. matter because there's no back projection. And so it's a nice, refreshing change. I think from... actually the only thing that would have made it better was some like off-brand Beach Boys song. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be, yeah. Like a bad cover of a Beach Boys yeah, song. Or maybe like, you know, John Dever, Rocky Mountain High. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I do, I do love this scene and I love, oh my God, probably my favorite part of the whole scene is when Bond outskis one of the guys on the Parahawk. This is one of the Parahawks that had already lost its chute and was just a snowmobile at this point. And it flies off the cliff and Bond's looking all smarmy and... See you back at the lodge. Yeah, being all smug. And then the chute opens and that look of like... Motherfucker. Yeah, it was so good. It was. It's actually a nice little face from Braza. Can I I also (laughs) point out how ridiculous it is that he's like... You know, you ski down, I'll lead them off. They're not here for you. Right. Why would they follow him? They don't give a shit. Well, that's not entirely true because there is a moment later on where Renard is really pissed off that Bond isn't dead from that moment. Which they is were, weird, though. They but were, no, why no, they, would They why? were clearly there for Bond because she's the bad guy. That's right. The that's logic, right. however, of him saying, I'll lead them off made no sense because he didn't know she was the bad guy. Right. At that point, he nor the viewer knows that she's the bad guy. Right. So I'm like, this seems sketchy. Why are they chasing him? Well, I mean, I'm not smart enough to put two and two together and figure out what's really going on. Apparently not. Apparently not. Uh, So (laughs) then Bond leads each of the Parahawks to different methods of their doom. One of them kind of reminded me, honestly, of of the speeder bikes on Endor. It totally did. (laughs) And that first one where they run into a tree or a rock or something. Very much. All I wanted was a Wilhelm scream with the guy flying. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, I did actually like the part where he jumps off the cliff and then dips his ski to slice open the guy's yes parachute parachute so that he his trajectory runs him into the other guy right so that turned out great and then that causes the explosion which causes the avalanche which then buries them safety this, ball the safety ball moment um i do feel like uh, Sophie Marceau overacted that uh, way more than she needed to. <laughs> yeah. There wasn't even any backstory like when she was kidnapped of her being kept in a dark room or something. Yeah, nothing. It was just some random, I hate, I'm claustrophobic moments. Yeah, there was no, that wasn't a payoff for anything that had been established. Uh-uh, other than, you know, making him look like a 
kinder, gentler 007 because Connery would have smacked a bitch to get her to calm down. I mean, that totally would have been what he did. Yeah. Right? And even Roger might have been like, no, I won't. <laughs> no, I won't. I'm but, a pacifist. No, no, no. But, but Pierce is all in there going, I understand. Calm down. I don't want to have to hit you. I'm not even thinking about it because it's the 90s. Well, he did the Chris Rock method of shaking the shit out of That's somebody. True. Shake a baby. <laughs> but yeah, the, the whole thing was just so ridiculous. Yes. I can understand being panicked about being in an avalanche. Right. I know I would be panicking the poop out of my pants. Yes. If I was in one of those things. But I'm like, dude, just pull the secret dome thingy out of his coat. Right. You're you're going to be fine. He's gonna, you're going to be all right. Bond's got this covered, man. Look into my eyes. <laughs> So, anyway, so then we cut back to uh, Baku, where Electra's pad is, and uh, a doctor says that she's fine and that she wants to see Bond, not Davidoff, which is in your <laughs> face, <laughs> exactly. Um, so he goes up, and now it's she clearly wants him around for reasons. Um, <laughs> she wants his Remington steel, <laughs> and for once. Uh, Bond shows some self-restraint and instead decides it's time to uh, go visit his uh, friend uh, Valentin Zukovsky. While disobeying his direct orders from M. Right. <laughs> Although she did say not to be on top, so in a way he's not. He's kind of following orders and kind of not. Right. It's, uh, so, I mean, it's I, kind of I, I, I think at the review board you can make an argument there. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Now we get to yet another scene that I absolutely love in this movie is uh, Zukovsky's Casino. Because it's just, it's Zukovsky. If I love allies, what I love even more is reappearing allies. Sure. That, that show the up The Goggles of the world. Indeed, very much so. And first off, though, before we get to the good part, the x-ray glasses. Right. I love that they're just x-ray enough. They're not, they don't see through to bone. Right. They, all the, you know, they don't just detect metal. They detect the first layer of clothing. So right. That, so that you can see exactly what brand of lingerie every woman in this casino is wearing. But only the lingerie. Only the lingerie. You don't see past it. They're very classy glasses. It's very classy. They're not, intru- they're not overly intrusive. They're just kind of <laughs> type thing. I mean, we're not going full total recall here. Exactly. <laughs> so I love, and this is another another great moment, is how Bond handles the heavy at the, right. at the bar when he kind of slips his tie around his neck and then like hangs him by it with the, with his own knife. Well, yeah, because when he puts the knife in, he slides oh, he down ki- and starts oh, and choking. Well, he kicks out the guy's legs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's just so like everything is choreographed. So I almost wonder how many times they had to do it to make it look that good because it's 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 perfect. pretty flawless. Yeah. And of course, ordering a drink at the same time. Yeah, and then just drinking it over him. Right. Just like and in one gulp, no less. Yeah. Like this is like water to me now. <laughs> yeah. Although although my wife who was watching kind of half watching at the time, she was like, he spilled part of that. I'm like, yeah, it's a martini. He drinks like 15 of them a day. It's fine. Yeah, it's water. <laughs> it's water it's to like him. It's like propelled to him. It's Dasani. <laughs> so then we get the best introduction ever. Bond, James Bond. Meet Mina and Verushka. Lose the girls, Valentine. We need to talk. Why am I suddenly worried that I'm not carrying enough insurance? <laughs> 
Nina. Van Varushka. Van Varushka. Vaughn pulls out the gun and he's all business and pisses off Goldie, who makes his... I believe this is after? I can't... When did uh, when did the fifth element come out? Remember? Feeling like 97 or 98. It so, was before this. Okay. So so that's probably what got him the gig on this movie is that he was on... He was in the fifth element. And the fact that he was like a pop culture... Sure. You know, he made all the, the techno-y music in the 90s and 1997. I am a movie remembering God. But yeah, isn't the character's name Bullion in the movie, though? It is. Because he keeps calling him Bully all the yeah, time. Yeah, it's Mr. Bullion. Yeah. It's so yeah. bad. Yeah. Anyway, but he's like, I see you put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> <laughs> he had another one. And then, of course, you know, Zukovsky has to has to follow it up with Mr. Bullion does not trust banks. So this is what I want to see. I want to see this movie, just a, a quick cut of all the Bon Mots. And every time to do it, you get a rim shot. I see you put your money where your mouth is. Mr. Bullion does not trust banks. In fact, I don't even want it to be real drums. I want it to be me making that noise. <laughs> that is entirely too much effort that I am not willing to put forward. <laughs> well, fine. Don't commit to the bit then. <laughs> hey, if we if we go from tens of listeners to thousands of listeners, you'll make all the effort. I'll make all of the all right. I'm all the hold things. on, guys. I'm making a note. I'm making uh, all the things. If we get to thousands of listeners, I want y'all to hold them to that because I'm going to forget. <laughs> and done. Okay. So the girls leave and Goldie leaves and they're talking and he's like, "Would you like some beluga caviar? It's my own brand. I'm I'm running a very straight business now. I'm not criminal at all." <laughs> and Bond throws the uh, the scarf over the caviar and he. Picks it up and identifies it as Russian Special Services Atomic Energy Anti-Terrorist Unit. Right. And then Bond says that Renard is behind it. So you get the sense that Russia is after Renard. Well, he would be if he's an ex-Russian agent. Right. And so it's, but it's weird that it would be on one of the, that he pulled it off one of the guys uh, operating the um, the Parahox. Well, the Parahox had the logos right on them. They came from. Oh, that. that's right, because they. That's right, because they rented them. Oh my god! Well, I'm, they were utilizing them. Well, yeah. And then what's his nuts gets shot instead of a hot rock in his yes. hand. <laughs> right. Remember, when you're dealing with a bad guy, you want the hot rock in your hand. Always, ha- always have a ask hot ask for the hot rock. Ask- I mean, <laughs> hot rockets. So. As soon as Bond says Renard's name, that's when Zukovsky kind of goes on high alert and he's right. like, we better have a drink and talk about this. And from here, we sort of learn that Renard is such a wild card that the KGB basically just let him go and nobody is just let go in the KGB. They're right. usually perished. <laughs> so, and now he's freelance, um, but Zukovsky doesn't know who he works for, which is actually a piece of truth for once. And he, he just mentions that with four competing pipelines that plenty of people would want Electra dead. So it's not necessarily so that it's Renard. It could be half a dozen other interested parties and even brings up the fact that many of those people would be at this casino right now. Right. And then, of course, right there, that's when Electra walks in wearing the most gorgeous red dress. I yeah, yeah, Wowzers. Yeah. She walks in looking fearless, just cool as a cucumber. And so, of course, Bond is very, very annoyed by this. So he quickly runs out there and tries to sort of almost mansplain her way. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Through the casino. Like, what are you doing here? Don't you realize? Yada, yada, yada. And and she's like, well, I don't want anybody to think I'm afraid. Like, I'm... Yeah, I'm... 
badass head bitch in charge. Damn straight. Shut up. That's right. So then, of course, Zukovsky swoops in to be the the gentleman who's allowing her a a $1 million credit at his casino, just like her father had and yada, yada, yada. So then they go into the separate high high roller room and she decides to play high card draw, I guess would be what the game would be called. That's when we get this critical little piece of information where she reels off the saying, there's no point in living if you can't feel alive. Right. And then she casually just loses a million bucks and then and then they walk out and, and Bond's like, well, I need to get you out of here. And then, of course, the next time you see her and Bond, they're in bed together. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, <laughs> as they're leaving, Bond asks Electra where Davidoff is and she mentions that she gave him the night off, which kind of leads us into act two of this crazy thing. All right, so act two. Just to go completely off the rails, we're going to go to some random little spot (laughs) somewhere in Azerbaijan, apparently, where (laughs) fire spontaneously appears. I love spooky fire rock time. Who doesn't love spooky fire rock time? Especially with Renard the Terrorist. (laughs) Spooky fire rock time with Renard the Terrorist. Not the jackal, Renard. So we basically, we cut the Davidoff, who we've now established has got the day off, driving in a car to go in some place that's on fire. (laughs) <laughs> randomly on fire like i thought it was a plane accident or something that he would shown up in or something right, like that right but no it's not he's actually there to meet a gentleman named dr arkoff and then renard bullet and head and everything emerges from a fiery rock cave thing with some very flowery explanation about how people come to visit because of the fire that never dies. <laughs> it, Isn't that a James Bond book? The fire that never dies. It almost reminded me of Temple of Doom. The, yes. <laughs> the, the, the actual temple with the fire rocks. Yes, absolutely. It, it kind of had that kind of vibe to yes. it. Are these on car stones? I don't even know what he's talking about here. <laughs> it's either that or the Goonies. There's a moment in Goonies that's kind of got a same. Yeah, the same. The Goonies, they both have a big skull, I think is what you're right. thinking about. Maybe I'm thinking of Black Bart's cave. <laughs> Maybe that's too obscure for our listeners. Anyway. All I know is it looked like they were at some sort of a like National Highway Transportation <laughs> Safety Board thing for a 747 crash. Right. A little random fire spurts. It was the fire swamp. The fire swamp. The fire swamp. <laughs> needed some rodents of unusual size and we would have been ready to go. But anyway. Bernard's given this whole thing about how penitents would come to this area so that they could grab the superheated rocks and hold them while they were saying their prayers to do penance, which is, of course, foreshadowing for something that's going to happen. In about five seconds. In about five seconds. (laughs) Um, He goes on to spiel about how Davidoff has uh, disappointed him. Dr. Arkoff has disappointed him. And he's leading you to believe that he's throwing it all on Davidoff because Bond's still alive. Right. A little bit of misdirection. A little bit of misdirection. Hands him the rock, puts it in his hand. Ouch. Ouch. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> Shoot him, he says. And then Renard's uh, thug shoots Dr. Arkoff, who for, probably for just being a smarmy bastard, I'm guessing, because he was yeah. kind of a smarmy bastard. Yeah. And he's just sort of like... Why don't we just give this up? He's just very like exactly. It's never going to work. It's this never going to work. We've plan. already yeah, we've already screwed up with the Parahawks. We we're supposed to just give them back, and now they're destroyed. Right. And yada yada and, yada. You know, Renard's like, yeah, we don't need any of you. Shoot him. And so he's dead. And then he tells Davidoff, well, you're going to have to take his place now that he's gone. So good luck with that. So now you're a Russian. Right. You're now a Russian nuclear physicist. Sure. Off you go. 
<laughs> and Davidoff's like, well, uh, uh, I guess I'm going to have to go do that. <laughs> yeah, I think that that whole scene is basically just to try and make Renard seem scary and spooky and and power, yeah, to give and them powerful because they needed like a villain's introduction, right? More more than really telling you a whole heck of a lot in a scene. It's more just to make it's, Renard seem spooky and scary. Yeah, there's a lot of misdirection. Yeah, because they're trying to get you ultimately to where you find out who the real bad guy is. Right. But we finish that. Um, we move on to, uh, you know, sexy time. <laughs> Apparently, James is going to be shadowing her on top and below <laughs> sideways. From behind. And, and maybe from the rafters. I don't even know. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, I don't know his. Uh... <laughs> it's not like James Bond does that in any other movie. It's no, kind never. of a mystery, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, they cut basically to a perfectly chilled bottle of Bollinger Champagne beside on the bedside of Electra. Nice. Uh, Bond has decided to stay, but perhaps it's a way to influence her more. We don't know. Or we just don't know. Maybe she's just hot. I you mean, know, I mean, there's that's part of it. I mean, seriously, I would not need any motivation to be staying there <laughs> right. above and beyond that. So right. uh, I don't know. Lots um, of lots of ice play. It's weird. It's it's, dude, I it's I, a recurring theme with her too. Yeah, she likes she the likes ice. The, she's the ice queen. What are they trying <laughs> oh, to say? <laughs> I know what it could be. Anyway, so we get a lot of exposition as they, you know, flirty, 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 flirty. Right. Um, yada, 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 yada. Yeah, this is, I mean, to its credit, it's not exploitative. It's more simply to tell you more things that you need to know. Yeah, it's, it's informative. Right. And playful. Informative and playful. And icy. And icy. Uh... <laughs> We find out that uh, Electra knows about his collarbone injury, which doesn't seem like much of a surprise. I mean, they're naked. If you're rolling so around naked, you're going you're gonna to find out. Yeah, you're yeah. going to find out. <laughs> you know, they could have been a little less, uh, maybe like, oh, poor James, let me kiss it for you. Right. Or something like that, which they didn't. Maybe that's okay that they didn't. He asked, you know, how she escaped. She's like, well, you know, I had to seduce the guards. And she learned that doing that gave her control. And you get maybe just a smidge into the whole... Moo ha ha ha. Right. It's of, like oh, of her character. Yes. Right. Not like Bond would ever fall for a honey trap. Mm. No way. Never. That never happens. No. But <laughs> you're going through this whole thing. You know, she's really giving off these vibes. You can tell that Bond is kind of getting into her and a little bit yeah. more than his well, usual, <laughs> getting a lot more attracted to her, uh, <laughs> perhaps romantically. But, you know, it, it, it's really nice. I, I'm going to be honestly, if those two people. Could not fake chemistry with one another. They're terrible actors. I mean, seriously, because, they're two of the most attractive people on right. earth. I could, I could do a convincing love scene with Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, especially forty-seven-year-old Remington Steele, Pierce Brosnan. Right. I, I mean, mean, he's just a handsome prescription guy. glasses, Pierce Brosnan. It, and actually, with the whole Superman thing, I have that probably would yeah, be a little hotter. Yeah. Oh yeah. But mm. we cut to Bond being done, being on top. I guess. Yes. Um, on, top, on the top of things. On top of things while he's shadowing. <laughs> um, and he sneaks outside to go do a little bit of recon while uh, Electra is sleeping. As he's out there looking around, he runs into Davidoff's car. She goes into the trunk to see what's happening back there. And he finds dead Dr. Arkoff. Poor Dr. Arkoff. Poor Dr. Arkoff. We Such, didn't even know you literally we, at all. We hardly knew you. But as he's rifling through things back there, he looks into an office where we see Davidoff in there taking a picture, uh, presumably <laughs> no. to put on a... A 1999 selfie. 
Well, yeah, more or less <laughs> to, to put on a, presumably on Arkov's documentation since he's now going to become Dr. Arkov. And it's kind of funny because uh, as Bond's going through there, it's fu- he's got a flashlight, right? And as he's looking yes, through stuff. I forgot about that part. And you get the flash from the camera and I'm like, oh shit. He's caught. And right. then it's, it's him taking pictures. Like, oh, okay. But then a guy, a guard guy comes over with a dog. He turns and off. And he turns the, f- the flashlight off. I'm like, well, that's a little nice little bit right there. Where he's like, don't want to get noticed. Right. Well, it seemed very kind of like careless almost that Bond was even using a, such a large flashlight. At when all. There was plenty of light from behind him. Right. But, you know, there's no night vision goggles. I, I no, don't know what's happening. No, but what? uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so we don't see him do it, but. Bond stows himself on top of Arkov. Well, I'm assuming Arkov is still in there. No, he must have dumped it. There's but if no he dumped way he the body, then the dude with the security dog would have seen it. That's a good point. We never know. We, we don't. We know never actually see. If I'm and trying to apply spy logic, <laughs> you want to be undetected. I suppose so. So he's riding on top there, <laughs> and I'll bet you he was like not just dead smelly, but he was just like he was a smelly guy. Uh, he'd been sitting under a burlap sack for yikes. an hour. I had not thought of any. And of you're these never going to think of anything else now nope. when you see that. Nope. So you're welcome. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Arkov gets to where he's going, and did you notice the little Yugo thing that looked like he was driving had the Special Forces logo that was on the the scarf that he threw at? at oh Zikoski? yes, yes. So I'm like, so that's a special branch Spesnats Yugo. Well, you know, I feel like those guys are too macho to be driving around and. Yugos. Budget cuts. Budget cuts. <laughs> it fixes everything. <laughs> but um, the car comes to a stop. Davidoff gets out to go get whatever he needs to do, I'm assuming. I don't know. Shake hands with the dead guy, because I don't know if he was going to pull anything out of there. But opens up the hatch, and wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Two shots in the chest. Way to go. 007. Yeah. And you didn't hit the badge, so really good shooting. Exactly. He was able to use the badge on so, top of everything else. So as- I think I think what's really funny about this moment now is when Bond meets up with the guy that he's supposed to meet up with, right. portraying Davidoff, portraying Dr. Arkoff, a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. It's becoming a theme. <laughs> it is becoming a thing. I just think it's funny that the Russian guy doesn't blink an eye at Bond. Doesn't, right. oh, this must be somebody from Renard's camp, you right. know. You think that he wasn't briefed right. on what the guy looked like? Because, you know, Silly. Davidoff looked just like Pierce Brosnan. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dead ringers. <laughs> right. Or And actually, this guy thought it was Dr. Arkov still, I think. It might have been. He might have been in the dark about that. Yeah. So, literally, the guy that was playing the doctor looked nothing like the doctor. And the guy who was playing the guy who was playing the doctor looked nothing like that guy. <laughs> it's... It, Sheer insanity. Yeah. This is one of those, let's just let it go and, and move along. If so, he's in this car, it's Arkov. Yeah. Clearly, it's <laughs> Russian energy super terrorist organization fighter guys. Right. Um, so <laughs> you got to be, even though you don't even have a good accent. But um, <laughs> the guy's like, yep, you are who you say you are. Get your shit. It's time to go. Right. So Bond goes in, grabs a shit, which consists of a briefcase and a big nylon bag. They walk up to a, an airplane with a bunch of guys wearing what appear to be Russian, Russian jumpsuits. Jumpsuits, yeah. Yeah. Um, like, okay, so these are Russian guys. And as he's getting into the pilot, sticks his head out and he goes, Hey, where's the grease? <laughs> this was such a weird 
non sequitur moment that that was just sort of a funny like make fun of Eastern Europeans who don't have access to a lot of American well, stuff. I, well, and it felt <laughs> so dated. That yeah. was something that you always did in the Soviet Union yeah, era. Yeah, that's like a Cold War era right. thing to like long for the latest tenant, you know, sneaker. Right. American sneakers, you know, because Nike. By, I mean, it was only 99, so. <laughs> right. But there was definitely an influx of European and American goods that were going into Russia at right. that point. Why is this what gets them to? They're basically giving up their jobs as Russian soldiers for free tennis shoes free and cool sneakers. American stuff, right? <laughs> and I'm like, eh, was this an idea that maybe they had previously that they never got in? Uh, yeah, maybe that was an idea that was meant for like I don't know, Honor Majesty Secret Service or right, something, right? Or even something that they didn't get used uh, in a Timothy Dalton movie, right? Or it would have been more relevant, yeah. Whatever it is, it gets Bond on the plane. Yeah. And suddenly he, everybody's chummy with him. Everybody's happy. <laughs> we cut to them in the plane and everybody's wearing their, their sneakers, <laughs> which I'm like, how did they get the sizes? Was there a list? <laughs> there must have been a list. There a had list. to have been a list. Always a list. So while they're in the plane, they basically come and tell Bond, you need to get your shit together and get ready to go. So he goes to get changed in the bathroom, takes out his Universal Exports. ID badge. Cuts the picture out of that. Cuts the picture off of that to put on the badge, which I can tell you right now, would have had to look hanky-janky as shit. (laughs) Yet nobody notices the badge at all. Nobody blinks an eye once they get to that, to the missile base. Nobody cares. So the plane lands at a Russian missile uh, base in Kazakhstan where they're basically decommissioning warheads. Yes. Which is why we're there at all. Bond is uh, filling in again for Davidoff, who's... Playing the late Dr. Arkoff, who we've already said. <laughs> dude is playing a, a dude. Dude playing another dude. And Arkoff like, is supposed to be there in official capacity to, as a nuclear energy person. Right. To help with the process. As he's walking around, he comes across whatever the military officer who's in charge of the oh, operation God. Yeah. is. And, and he's, mean, he just falls all over him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it, 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 clearly, I don't think that guy was really Russian. It wasn't a great accent. No, not the best Russian. But as we're going along, we meet our next Bond girl, Dr. Mm. Christmas, or Christmas Jones. Dr. Christmas Jones. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I do like the, I don't know any doctor jokes. Well, that was actually a pretty good line in there. She's like, and you can save all the funny lines. I'm like, I don't know any doctor joke. Uh, Really, Brosnan sounded like the Count from Sesame Street with his accent. (laughs) It was pretty bad. Yeah, Yeah, one bon mot, two bon mots, three, (laughs) four, Uh, uh, five bon mots. By the way, you get Dr. Christmas Jones dressed like Tomb Raider. (laughs) Like you do. (laughs) Like you do. Like you do. You get out of your rad suit and you're... Wearing your tank top and your roll them up shorts and, <laughs> and a little utility belt with a big you, knife that, right, stuck, right. that that hangs the knife hangs down longer than the short cuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> maybe the tank top, maybe a size, maybe two sizes too small. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they did you know have a couple of things that they really wanted her for in the movie. So <laughs> as we discussed earlier. Yes. Anyway. I have to go on record here as saying that I like Denise Richards. <laughs> I think she has a lane, and I think when she's in her lane, she's good. Yeah. This was not her lane. Probably not her lane. This was not her lane. No. And uh, I, I did hear when I was talking, I talked briefly to uh, James Page on uh, James Bond and Friends. And somehow or another, Denise Richards got brought up in conversation. And, you know, how many people just rail on her performance in this movie. And it does sound like she had a pretty rough go of things offset. 
So you couple that with some bad lines of dialogue. Oh, absolutely. With some probably wildly inappropriate outfits. It doesn't make for the the most creative or the most productive output that you're no, going to get and, from somebody. No, and as you mentioned, that they it wasn't her first choice. Right, right, right. So there could have been a lot of stuff coming from production yes. that was doing it. Honestly, UA, UA definitely had their say in what they wanted right. to be done with her. I feel like, and I think that the costume thing is actually very relevant because a lot like Tanya... Tanya Roberts. Tanya Roberts. Nothing she wore in, in A View to a Kill was realistic for any of the scenes that she was supposed to be in. Right. And it was clearly, we're glamming this up yeah. for... Well, and again, this is this is actually, it's funny you bring her up because this is another instance where they wanted to American up right. the movie. And that is exactly what they did with her. Right. I mean, she's about as American as you're going to get as well. Right. Just so, the I mean, 90s version. Right. So, I mean, and from probably, that standpoint... I mean, to be fair, better actress than Tanya Roberts. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> again, I'd argue, in her lane, she's good. This just wasn't her lane. Right. And if they did, in fact, give her nothing to work with mm-hmm. and made it that difficult, I can't imagine... Because she, you know, relatively young actress. She'd come off a couple of big things at that point. It's but, already intimidating that you're on a Bond set. Right. You're dealing with Pierce Brosnan. You're dealing with other actors and stuff that are way more experienced. I could see where if you didn't have a sympathetic team working behind the scenes, mm-hmm. that would have made things very, very hard. But at the end of the day, watching the movie, it's very distracting. And it's it takes me out bad. of the film. Yeah. Well, there's, so, there's a couple of moments when they're in the, in the sub. Oof. Some of those lines she delivers, it's just so rough. Yeah. In fact, I think the best, the best scene that she was in is at the caviar factory. Yeah. I felt like she was kind of in her element. It was a little bit more whatever she was used to. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to pick on Denise Richards because, like I said, I like some of the stuff that she's done that maybe was better tailored for her. Right. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, Which at some points is very grating. <laughs> yeah. 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 Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they do a little banter between one another, um, and you can tell she's suspicious of who he is right off the bat. Probably the bad Russian accent. I'm going to go ahead and go right <laughs> out there and say that. Because she throws some Russian at him in a bad accent, but then she's an American speaking Russian. Right. And he comes back with what sounds like an Irishman speaking <laughs> Russian. I would be a little skeptical on that, too. Yeah. So Bond goes down, and it's always down into a base. <laughs> Nobody ever goes up in a base nope. in a Bond movie. It's nope. always down to the bottom. Yeah. Goes down to the base, finds Renard, realizes that, you know, they're taking the warhead. Oh, this is bad. Jesse's about to kill Renard, which, come on, too much talky-talky, right? What are you holding on? Did you yeah, shoot that him? was so weird. There was so much... It was almost as if they knew that they didn't have anything else in this scene that they could work with. Or that the movie would have been ended with seven bullets, right? <laughs> right. Kill Renard, kill his five guys, and guess what? The world is safe. Yep. It is enough, after all. But, they, you know, they're, they're trying to sort out the drama because right. this is another stepping stone to get you to where the actual bad guy is. Right. The only thing that we get from that one moment where Bond and Renard are together and Bond decide, like takes his time and ends up not shooting him is we find out two things. We find out that Renard knows that he's got a, a hurt shoulder. Right. And then Renard reels off the... What good is living if you can't feel alive? Right. So he reels that off again. Right. And Bond's like, and that's when, hmm. and that's when Bond pauses yet again. And that's when all the other guys come in. The military right. guys come in. But that's the problem 
with putting information into an action scene is that stuff falls to the wayside and a lot of times you end up forgetting about it. It doesn't soak in. Yeah, anyway. Well, yeah. Action scenes should be action. They shouldn't be uh, exposition. But I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm right there with Christopher McQuarrie on that point. <laughs> He's a big believer in that. Never put exposition in an action scene. Exactly. And honestly, this is another one of those things about plot. I never quite understood what this base did. And honestly, when you told me that it was like the, a like a they, they were de- a decommissioning, yeah, they were decommissioning it. But that doesn't I, that explain never, why it looked like it did, or what it looked like it was. I think it was an old military weapons depot, okay. which is why everything was underground. Yeah, because and I, they were decommissioning the nukes. Yeah, and then shipping the material off to wherever you ship weapons grade plutonium off to. I guess I'm not a a, a good enough expert on decommissioning missiles for any of that to sink in. <laughs> I just thought we, it was we like, clearly have our focuses on what stays I, in our head and what doesn't. I honestly thought it was just a missile base where some of the bombs weren't working right, and so they were fixing some of them. That's all I knew. Right, right, right. <laughs> we get a really good set piece in here where <laughs> chainfall, no less. They've got the they've got the warhead strapped to a chainfall that they have to run through this gigantic underground tunnel. With right. get smart closing doors. I love in this scene too. The world's smallest grappling hook. Right out of an Omega out, watch. Coming out of his watch. Just, of course that'll hold his weight. He's just, when he gets lifted, it's a wee. It was yeah, like, it's like it launched him. Like there was some kind of like heavy duty spring in the watch. I thought cu- for sure when it was going to shoot out, it was going to do like a. Right. Right. Nope. Nope. Thump, right into a steel bar. I bar. Of course. Of course. Must be made of adamantium well, or something. Well, Q built know. it, so, you know. Right. Oh, by the way, I love Bond's circus dive over the closing doors yes. to do a, a somersault and then come up and shoot all those guys. Uh-huh. And then just nonsense. Okay, I've got to push this rail car thingy with my bad shoulder, which I'm going to give him full credit. Every time he had to do something physical in his upper body, he, he winced. winced. So... Good on you, Pierce. I, I did appreciate the uh, attempt, at least, to make it look like Christmas Jones was doing some MacGyvery work. Yep, yep. Some trying st- to, something that a, that a nuclear physicist uh, might think yes, about doing. Exactly. You know, in order because she was trying to close the doors. Right, and she's pulling out wires and and she's trying to rewire stuff and and you know not looking like Tomb Raider at all. No, no, whatsoever. Not at, not, not at, at all. all. Um, but, uh, you know, Bond is out there pushing this cart, eventually has to use this cart to keep the second door from closing, which is insanity because it literally crushes this cart and then flips it over on the other side. And I'm like, does that really work that way? There's no way that works. I feel like that cart would have been strong enough to keep the doors from closing. But if they had stayed open, we'd have less drama. Anyway, we get to the end of this thing. Bond has gotten over there, but... Renard has managed to take the plutonium out of the warhead. Or did he still have the whole warhead? He had the whole warhead. Because yeah, the whole warhead. The whole he had warhead, just taken yes. out the little That's tracker right. thingy. Honestly, people, I did watch this movie. <laughs> they just don't stick very long in my head. It's it's terrible. It's like Bond Alzheimer's. But anyway, it takes the whole bomb up. Bond tries to shoot him. For some reason, there's bulletproof glass in yeah. this elevator. Of course. Of course there is, right? It's weapons Depot. <laughs> I suppose I could see it. Sure. But... He does the, this is the best thing. As he's going up in the elevators, there's this little subtle pointing down with his finger to like, ha ha, look at the timer. What? Oh no. (laughs) So there's a bomb set to explode down there, which it looked like a very teeny tiny little bomb. 
It was a huge generated bond. way more explodey explodey than I think it should have. Yeah. So Bond is like doing the whole spinny leg Warner Brothers cartoon character thing. I gotta get out of here. Flies <laughs> over. Christmas Jones gets the doors open. Just as she gets the doors, doors open. open. He's like, close the doors, close the doors. Right. You know, open the blast doors. Open the blast doors. <laughs> close the blast doors. Exactly. <laughs> the explosion goes out. They start climbing up to the top of the building, which <laughs> I have to say that was, I don't know why it was so uncomfortable to me, <laughs> but he let her go up first both times. Yes. Well. And then <laughs> you could tell him, see him consciously trying not to Grab be touchy ass. touchy. Right. Right. And I'm like, creeper. <laughs> But they get up to the top of what is apparently a missile silo. And my funny thing is, is she gets up and is like, no, you have to jump. And they literally, they don't jump because the berm is so low from where the missile comes out. <laughs> it's really more of a skip. Yeah. Yeah. It's barely anything. It's barely anything. <laughs> right. And then, of course, you have the, the the cinematic fire, which has its own consciousness. It can <laughs> turn through different caves. I'm like, oh, wait, is this Temple of Doom in the water? Maybe. I don't know. Fire comes out. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> yeah. I do think it's funny um, that moment where they're on that lift together and she's like, what's your name or whatever? And he does oh. what is arguably Pierce Brosnan's worst reeling off of Bond, James Bond ever. Right. He's like, Bond! He gets to the top of the lift. James, James Bond. Bond. It's really bad. Yeah. Anyway. You know, he said James Bond, Bond, James Bond. There's a lot. There's a lot of them in this one. Like, do you guys they know who this guy is by now? I, I'm pretty sure everybody knows who he is. I mean, Steel, Remington Steel. I don't, I don't <laughs> anyway, they get out. Woohoo. We didn't get squirts. We're so happy. Woo. One thing I should point out before we move on to the next scene is that when the, the Russian commander comes down with his people and he's got Bond a gunpoint, he notices that they pull out a card out of the warhead. This is very important yes. because this will play a much larger piece later on. This card get goes everywhere. Right. This card winds up in the darndest of places. That's right. all I'm going to say. Yeah, and you know, obviously shows that Bond is a very observant person. Mm, um, gosh. But uh, keep that in mind, kids. It's going to come up later. Yep. Um, so we uh, we head on back to MI6 in Scotland. You know, the old Scotland Yard. Except it's not a yard. It's MI6. <laughs> Em and her team are trying to triangulate where Renard's plane could go because this little car that pulled out was a GPS device for the warhead. So, so now they have no idea, no where, idea where it could be. Yeah, right. exactly. While they're working on that, Electra calls and gets a hold of M and says, I like how they like, here's the other thing. This is the same place where we saw the 3D head, right? Yes. What's the first thing she does? Put her on the wall screen. Yes. So we can't do a hologram of her talking? We, or, or we can't do a wall screen of, of, Renard's, of head. Renard's head. Right, right, right. Well, <laughs> they blew the budget on one thing. Yeah. And it was the wrong thing, because I would much rather look at a hologram of Sophie Marceau than yeah, Renard well, and his bullet head. Yeah. Anyway, indeed. she gets put up on the screen. She tells M that uh, she needs her to come out and visit. She doesn't feel safe now that Bond has disappeared. And M's like, oh, he's gone, huh? And well, so, it's funny, too, that she's like, well, I want you to come out here. Oh, right. well, that couldn't be a trap or anything. Well, you would think that <laughs> you would think that M's spider sense would have been tingling a little bit at that point. But she's obviously got a very familial investment. Yeah, in her, yeah, And yeah. she's feeling guilty. Yeah, Because yeah, she did give her dad the advice to let her, let her dangle and see what uh, the water chummed mm -hmm. up. Yep, so yep. There, there's definitely some motivation there. Electra also says that she's very concerned because Davidoff was found dead. Hmm. Mm. I also think it's really interesting that this conversation is basically FaceTiming 20 years ahead of time. Pretty much. Because 
when this conversation ends, they cut to Electra, and she's on a little laptop, laptop. and she just closes, closes it, it. Right. And it looks just like FaceTiming now. Right. So that was pretty... Uh, a little prescient? Yeah. I can see the future. <laughs> How did she have that technology when it didn't exist? Well, you know. Does she have like an MI6 computer? Maybe M gave it to her for her birthday? Sure. Who knows? <laughs> We're never going to find out either. That's the sad part. Rich, anyway. rich folk get stuff way ahead of this is true. Us, us layman's. This is true. This is true. They got the money to buy that that high-tech stuff. Anywho. Bond makes his way back over to uh, Electra's villa and having the, uh, forearmed with the information that, ow, my shoulder hurts. And, you know, you're not living. Kind of like, you know, the bad guy. Yeah. But um, she gives us very... Very persuasive thing about, well, you're a paranoid motherfucker, aren't yeah. you? Well, she right? doubles down. Oh, absolutely. She goes in her. She makes him feel guilty. She made him feel as guilty as my mom makes me feel <laughs> when I don't call enough. But um, Especially with that line about, did you just sleep with me to pass the time? Right, right. Like, oh, yeah. Way to cut to the bone there. Wow. I mean, yeah. And Bond's no all like, uh, I don't know what to say here. Which is funny, too, because that's when he feels so guilty that she's like, well, I got to go out to the pipeline because there's more dead. And he's like, well, I'm coming with you. All of a sudden, he's like. And she's like, she's like do whatever you want. Yeah, I don't give a shit. I whatever. can give two shits about you. We're done, buddy. So we cut to some weird cuts. Just some kind of like pop, 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 yeah, pop, this pop. Is, this is so strange. It's so disorienting because three quarters of these cuts are in daylight, in broad daylight. And then the final one is inside this computer room or, right. or headquarters of King. Right. You know. Of the pipeline and everything else that's in there. Right. But, you know, basically we get M being choppered in to King Industries headquarters. Uh, outside we see Christmas with a science person and a stretcher's <laughs> being carried behind her. Um, then suddenly it's super dark, just like you said. And Electra makes eye contact across the room with M. Uh, as she enters, maybe there was more substance to all of that, and they just had to edit it down for time. I kind of wonder. I hate the editing in this moment. It's rough. Yeah, I mean, but it, gets, it's, it gets you where you need to go, though. It does. I just wish that if you're going to cut from straight up daylight to like dark like that, you need an establishing shot of some sort. Instead, it's instead it's a cut to a close up of Electra. With, right. with lights flashing. When I first saw it, I thought that suddenly the sun had gone down and they were outside, but there were police sirens going. Okay. Like, that's the first thing I thought of when I saw that shot. It, I did not... It wasn't until, like, shots two and three after that that I realized, oh, they're inside now. That's what's happening. Like, once I saw M come through the doors, I realized what had happened. Right. But it was such a weird yeah. way to cut directly into inside without giving any sort of... There's a weird disconnect between what was just happening and what's happening. Right. Now. I mean, this is a far cry from the editing in Connery Bond movies where they force the viewer to watch Bond walk all the way across a room <laughs> to enter through some doors. Right. Like, we are well past that at this point. This that's whole for thing sure. could have just been solved with a Lucas wipe, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we get in. Um, Bond is telling him about the locator card being removed, so there's no real way to track the device. We get this... Uh, this little argument between Bond and M about how he thinks M shouldn't be there at all. And M's like, the reason I'm out here in the first place is you. Asshole. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> if you'd done what I told you to do, 
we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. Bond says he thinks that Electra is the inside woman in the job, but M's not having any of it because, you know, she's so sweet. Why would she attack her own pipeline? I don't get it. Why would she do it? It's not like you've ever gone against people that have larger plans. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Dame Judy Dench. Um, (laughs) She'd be so mad at us. She would be. She'd be chastising us like that. I'm pretty sure I just missed my opportunity at a a Judy Dench hug. I've always decided that of all the old actors and actresses in Hollywood, she would give a great hug. I bet you she's a good hugger. Good hugger. I think you're probably right there. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway. anyway. Just a grand hug. A good grand hug. <laughs> so basically, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Non sequitur. No. Moving so, right along. So Bond is trying to convince um, that Electra killed her father. But she's, and as you pointed out, she asked, you know, why would she attack her own pipeline? But before Bond can counter, an alarm goes off at the control center. And we get cut to a technician sitting in front of a computer going, well, according to this really intricate uh, <laughs> diagram that could possibly exist at this frame in time, we have a roving unit that we use to fix stuff that appears to be heading towards the center of the pipeline. It's out of control and moving really, really fast. <laughs> Maybe it could be bad. I don't know. So... They're trying to get under control. He says, we can't get it under control. We can't get it under control. And Bond's like, the bomb must be on that. Right. He immediately is like, the bomb is on it. I mean, I'm not going to say that's not a logical conclusion because it kind of is. It is, but it's right? it's a little like, it's a little bit of a jump. Maybe. Maybe. To, I mean, to automatically assume that, well, he put it in there because it's headed straight for the... Isn't where like the where the terminal was attacked? Yeah, that's where all the oil is. It's going to cause the most amount of damage. Right. So what else would be moving there mysteriously out of control? Right. At seventy miles an hour. At seventy miles an hour. I'm going to bring this up later. Okay. 70 miles an hour, not 88 miles an hour. No, no. They haven't hit time travel. They had plutonium, so really all they were missing (laughs) was a flux capacitor at that (laughs) point. All I'm saying. But anyway, Bond's like, all right, I'm going to go take care of this. And then he looks over at Chris and says, what do I need to disarm a nuclear bomb? She's like, me. <laughs> me. It's not far off from the delivery. Really? I mean, it's just. Me. And all I'm thinking of, Ben, all I'm thinking of is, haven't you disabled enough bombs, including at least one nuke that I'm aware of? Yeah. I can think of two immediately. Goldfinger, Octopussy. Right. I mean, I'm sure the list goes on and on. I'm just not thinking of. Every single time he's disarmed a bomb, but he's disarmed a lot of bombs. Right. And I'm like, is Pierce Brosnan the dumb James Bond? He's <laughs> the dumb pretty one. Well, he's a, so like <laughs> he because he doesn't know anything either. He doesn't, he doesn't. He doesn't know us. He doesn't know specific uh breeds of, of butterfly. Uh-uh. He, he can't tell you what year that Bollinger was. Nope. You know, he doesn't even give you a fancy drink order. Just give me a damn martini, shaken, not stirred. The important part is shaken, not stirred. I don't care what you put in it. But it reminds me, as I get off tangent, of Christian Bale's Batman. Because Batman is always considered to be, he knows everything. Right. He does know the color of the butterfly. He knows all this other stuff. And Christian Bale's Batman was like, I just want to go beat stuff up. This is what I have. I have have Alfred here to give me all this tactical training and stuff. I got Morgan Freeman over here to build all my shit for me. I just wear the stuff and go kick people's ass. That's right. I'm not smart. I need to ask people for help. And it just seems like that's who this bond is. He's like, this is the bond that knows nothing about anything. Well, he's got he's got good instincts. He does, but he doesn't know wildly irrelevant information. Right, he, he would he would be a terrible trivia player. Right, and yet <laughs> in a submarine, 
He's able to figure out a way to connect a random hose to make something happen. <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'll, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to leave it at that. So he takes Christmas along and he asks if there's another vehicle or something like that similar to this one in there. It's like, yeah, there's another one that's about, what was that, uh, 70 miles or so Ahead. upstream of the yeah. thing. And he does some random math calculating at 70 miles per hour, with 72 <laughs> miles to go. 78 minutes, he says. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, one thank of, you, Doc Brown. Yeah, thank you, Doc Brown. One of M's flunkies gets him out to where it is. <laughs> they get into the. To, I'm pretty sure that guy's like a bad guy in every other spy movie I've ever seen, but he's a good guy in this. They get out to the rig, and then he's like, You drive. And I think it was only for her to deliver the line, Do you think you can handle it? It's not like it's nuclear physics. Oh, absolutely. That was the whole. Re- well, I mean, between that and the fact that he needed to be on the back to try and stop the other one from plunging into them once it caught up to them. Right. But more for the line. Because I'm like... More for the line. I'm, I'm thinking logistically, is your bomb diffuser the person you want in the front of the cart or the back of the cart? Mm. Because then she has to do the whole twisty... That's right, because she is the bomb, di- bomb diffuser. Correct. So I'm like, well, James, I'm pretty sure you're probably better at driving cars than you are... Because you drove a speedboat that had a million switches. You figured that shit out pretty quick. (laughs) Maybe you, but whatever. Fine. (laughs) Fine. So they get in. They start driving. The thing catches up with them eventually. And he's throwing the classic Zorn line, you know, more power. Go faster. More power. (laughs) You know, and and it's funny because she keeps looking at the speedometer. It's only supposed to go 70 miles an hour, but there's 80 miles on it. Right. She's hitting the red line. And I was like, why doesn't it say 88? Just for me. (laughs) Just for you. Just for me. But they got this thing going on there. They can't stop it. So they realize that they're going to have to cross over while it's going. They both get over onto the other side. Obviously, our driver has to do some twisty bendies, which may have been part of the reason why she was driving too. Sure. Um, (laughs) She gets in and she, as they're trying to get it disarmed, they realize that the bolts have all been sheared so they can't yeah. be moved and that there's only half of the plutonium load on it. Can I just break in right here? And this scene, dialogue-wise, holy cow, this is the scene where all Denise Richards is asked to do is repeat everything that Pierce Brosnan has already yes. said. Yes. That is all that happens in this in this scene. Yeah. Like over and over and over again, she's just stating the obvious. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it brings it again, it brings the question. Why can't Bond just do this himself? Right. Why did she need to come along? Because we need this re- Denise Richards. Because he's like, or the screws have been stripped. Someone's tampered the bomb. Yeah, no shit. That's what he just said. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so egregious. <laughs> and I'm like, what was the dialogue? Was this the dialogue the whole time? Or did they change know. the dialogue to try and fit her? I mean. It's hard to know. I, God, they I had, well, they had to get a reason to have her be with him. Yes. The whole, you know, clearly they needed her to be with him along for the ride. So Th- That's the only reason. Yeah. It serves no purpose. In fact, I'm going to go out and say her character serves no purpose in this entire movie. Not Denise Richards. I'm just saying it's not about Denise Richards. The Christmas Jones character serves zero purpose. I, in this I can movie. think of one. That's it. Okay, at the very end. <laughs> at the very end, when she lets him in the in the hatch, when he when he has to swim outside and get back in, that's yes. the only time I can think of where where something she does has relevance to yeah. Bond succeeding. Yeah. Otherwise, nothing. She did nothing. Yeah, at all. 
And so I mean, she, she distracted Zukovsky, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Either way. So they can't get the explosive undone. They figure out that the plutonium is not enough to cause a nuclear reaction. Yes. Honestly, it could still be a dirty bomb, but whatever. Okay, that's fine. And so Bond's like, I guess we're going to have to cut the chase. And they basically get off and let the bomb go do its thing to blow up. So that they think that he's dead. So they think that the both of them are dead. It blows up a huge section of the thing. Now, they're going 70 miles an hour. Okay, here comes the math just, problem. And they're just going to... I know, they just bail off and roll in a and tube. And they're just going to bail off and roll in a tube afterwards, because I'm sure they'll be fine. At 70 miles an hour. At 70 miles Nearly an 80, hour. Nearly 80. Nearly 80. Yeah, I thought the same thing, because yeah. first of all, they didn't roll nearly enough for no. the speed they were going. Second of all, nobody's clothing was torn. There was no blood. Listen, I had a one-wheel accident that went at 19 miles an hour, and I was toast. <laughs> and I rolled more than they did. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe when you're driving at a tube at 80 miles an hour, make it a little more realistic looking. Yeah. I anyway. Mean, I mean. So, boom, bomb, explodes, pipeline goes out. So, in the control room, they see that it, it, the bomb's blowing up. The dude tells M that the bomb was a dud, but it still blew out a huge section of the pipeline. Almost half a football field. Right. Didn't look like how Anyway. It sure didn't look like that much, but, no, you know, anyway. scale models. What are you going to do? Sure. Everybody thinks Bond is dead. And that's when Elektra reveals herself to be the bad guy. Mooha! <laughs> It turns out that M was actually the last person that Electra and Renard wanted revenge against after all of their other little revengey things that were going on. Yes. Mainly in her case because of her convincing her father not to pay the ransom. Right. Never really been 100% sure what Renard's motivation was other than the fact that she left Electra in his clutches and he knows what an asshole he is. Yeah, that we'll get to that. Yeah, I mean, but I can't think of any other motivation for yeah. that other than that. Right. And then M coming in with the backhand. Wow, man. Love that was that. great. I did love that part. Because what is it? I'm, I'm trying to remember why she gets so mad there. I want to say it's because Electra basically explains her evil plan to M and then says, well, I only had one problem and then you sent me my solution, Bond. And then right. and she makes some snide remark and that's when M gets mad and... Smacks a bitch. Smacks a bitch. It's okay yeah. for M to do it. Indeed. Anyway, yeah. Then the guards uh, take her off to the helicopter because now she's your prisoner. Because guess what? There's still more hijinks to be had. More hijinks to be had. And, uh, you know, we tend to get a little uh, uh, talky on these uh, here podcasts. It seems like the James Bonds one, James Bond episodes are definitely the more talky of the bunch. Indeed, indeed. And uh, this one is no exception. We're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to give you one of them the fancy little two-parters that we like to do. Indeed. Keep you hanging on the edge. What's going right. to happen to M? My God, what is going to happen to M? What are they going to do now that James Bond is dead? <gasps> did Christmas Jones die too? Her career did. All will be revealed in part two of our review of The World Is Not Enough. But as always, please, we are looking for listener interaction. If you're digging the hijinks, if you are uh, if you have some thoughts, if you want to let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what else we could be doing that we're not doing at all, let us know through email at cicdeaddrop at gmail.com, on Instagram at Central Intelligence Cinema, uh, separated by underscores, or at Twitter, I'm still on there, at CIC SpyPod. 
So uh, please get in touch with us. Uh, and also on Facebook, actually, too. We have a, a Facebook presence there. Just put in the search on Facebook for Central Intelligence Cinema. And there we are. There we are. And also, if you do enjoy the podcast, if this ridiculousness is doing it for you, <laughs> we would love if you would give us a sparkling, effervescent, shiny, shiny five-star review. Blinky, blinky. Blinky, blinky. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so that our show gets seen faster when people search for things like this. Yes, indeed. Indeedy. But with that, I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more mayhem.